Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to The Destiny Show Podcast. Part of the Robots Radio Network, live on Twitch, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Robots Radio presents... Hello, Guardians, and welcome to the Destiny Show podcast. I am your host, Cornholio, and you are listening to episode 23 of the Destiny Show podcast. And tonight we have a very special guest on the show, CJ Gibson from IGN's Fireteam Chat, and we'll learn much more about CJ and what he does at IGN. We'll discuss Destiny 2 this fall, all the latest news from Bungie. We're going to talk about some Eververse changes, Iron Banner, and much more. You will not want to miss this episode of the Destiny Show podcast. And as a reminder, you can find the Destiny Show podcast on all of your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and the list goes on. And you can also find us on the web at www.destinyshow.com. And you can find us on Twitter at The Destiny Show. So I guess we're going to begin the show by welcoming, as always, my co-host, Shadow Price. How is your evening going? Oh, thank you for the warm welcome. Um, It's going pretty good. I have to say it's been an awesome, pretty week, I guess. I, I put a grill together today. So I get to grill hashtag meat instead of just hashtag bread. So I, I put that tweet out earlier, too, and got a few likes on it. So I thought that was kind of cheeky. But also, too, just all the awesome things going on in Destiny right now. Um, we're going to get into a lot of that. And they're, you know, with Bungie not putting transmog in, unquote, unquote. But it's basically transmog, like what's going to happen in the fall. So pretty excited about that. And with all the armor changes, with all the stats and everything coming to the game, it's awesome. 
Yeah, it feels like every week we're getting new information and new exciting changes that are coming to Destiny, and I, I can't wait to talk more about it tonight on the show. And yes. I also want to welcome our special guest tonight, CJ Gibson. Thank you so much for being on with us, and welcome to the show. What's up? That's the fire yeah. team chat. What's FTC. up? FTC. <laughs> How's it going? That's right. We Thanks. are so excited uh, thanks to have you on because we have been listening and watching uh, Fire Team Chat since the very beginning when it was Destin, Fran, and Jose. Ooh, and, you know, Otero. Yeah, I, so. I got I got one even further back than that. It was actually Jose Alfredo Diaz and Alfredo, Destin. Alfredo, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was oh, uh, right. this was before right. Fran started because Fran kind of. Entered in, I think, somewhere between like maybe episode three and five or something like that. Yeah, I think the first one I watched was uh, you guys. Um, I think after uh, Dark Below dropped, it was like right at the beginning of 2015. Yeah, or something. I, I know they were pretty early they, in, into it because we're on like episode yeah. 200 and something now, the the, the low wow. 200s. But yeah. uh, is everything okay over there? Is everybody all right? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's our end. Sorry, it's you know. <laughs> Uh, but no, the <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly um, appropriate for fire team chat. Um, no, but yeah, I think uh, you know they started pretty early, and then it was um, yeah. I, I didn't come into the show until my first episode actually was with Bife, and that was the Crimson Days episode oh, yeah. in like 2016. So it was like late in okay. uh, January of 2016. So yeah, they had done it for about um, yeah about like nine ten months before I started. That's very cool. And you've been with IGN since 2016, correct? You've been on their video team. Yeah, so I, I started as a video producer. I mean, it's a long story. Full-time, officially, uh, as of January 2016. But then I've known Fran and Destin, and I would always come and help freelance for a bunch of E3s, Comic-Con, and different various shows like that, all the way leading you know, back to like 2006. So I've been helping out and doing work with IGN for a long time. When I say it out loud, it actually is kind of mind-boggling now. <laughs> That's incredible. So how many E3s have you been to, CJ? So this was my 11th. I just did that math. And so uh, 11, wow. e- 11 E3s. Yeah, not consecutively. I did, like I said, 2006, and I took a little break. Um, you know, I ended up uh, being married and having kids and then started going again in mm-hmm. 2010 so then from 2010 to 2019 yeah it's been uh, it's been a lot wow. of e3s yeah that's amazing and, and have you yeah. been following bungie since they got started yeah pretty much i mean well not started i mean if you go all the way back into you know the uh, their their early games i mean i i've read and known about oni. them yeah oni and, and and everything else before but um uh, was it Oni Myth and uh, Marathon? Yeah, exactly. But I yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. started like many people did in the uh, the Halo Microsoft launch era, and mm-hmm. so pretty much from there yeah. though, I've been following them, you know, religiously and playing the games. They've been an active part of my life for the better part of you know fifteen plus years now. So it's uh, it's more than just a ritual. Yeah, it's it's a habit, and it's it's an old man habit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's funny because shadow price got me into the halo franchise when halo reach came out and that was kind of my introduction into the destiny or not the destiny franchise but the bungee uh gaming uh pedigree the bungee family the bungee yes. family right that's right and mm-hmm. ever since then i 
just I loved their video games from the shooting mechanics to the cooperative aspect of their games. It it was just so much fun to be able to play with my friends and play competitively and play through a lot of the different PVE activities they had and Destiny grew on me right since the very beginning and I I just loved it from the start and I I've tried to play other games but it's really difficult to um go into and playing other games when when Destiny has so much to offer and so much incredible content for us to play and yeah enjoy. Yeah, they have that. They have that magic recipe that that secret sauce that's in just the way the games feel. You know, I played a ton of Halo mm-hmm. Reach, and prior to that, I played tons of Halo Three and Halo, you know, Two. I, I still probably have played more Halo Two, maybe potentially than Destiny One and Two combined. That's how often I played Halo Two. Um, but yeah, Reach was actually a really good game. I think it was like a lot of the building blocks that you see in Destiny were a lot of mechanics that were you know refined from Reach. And I think that was their sort of foray into yeah. like different class abilities, different characters, different weapons, um, you know, and obviously Call of Duty was really big and influential in those years as well, too. And Reach was popular. So, yeah, I mean, now it, it's you, you can see how that stuff has played into where Destiny is today, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So, CJ, we're going to put you on the hot seat tonight Uh-oh. as we do on the show. <laughs> And we're going to invite you on for our discussion with the Guardians. And for anyone who does not know CJ, he is, of course, the senior video producer at IGN, one of the most respected media outlets in video games. He's also the co-host of one of the longest-running Destiny shows on the web, IGN's Fireteam Chat. And he's one of the most knowledgeable and one of the most respected members of the Destiny community. And if it wasn't for CJ and his work and the work that IGN does, I don't think we would be podcasting today. So we appreciate you so much for being on again. And we're going to learn so much more about CJ and what he does. And we're going to get to know him a little bit more personally. Well, I appreciate that. That that is all very. Those are very very kind words. I I, I definitely. Um, when you guys say that out loud, that you wouldn't be podcasting today. I know there's a lot of other podcasts who've started, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, like we were saying, just discussing a little earlier, we are at two hundred and something, and it, and it does feel like yeah. yesterday, even for me, since I joined. Like I said, midway through, I think it was like fifty something episodes. But um, yeah, it's it goes by quick. Goes yeah, you guys fast. were the first ones, <laughs> uh, first podcast, the Destiny podcast that I tuned into regularly. Nice. And everything, so. Awesome. Like, yeah, uh, definitely kudos for doing as long as, long as you guys have. So well, Thanks, awesome. man. I, I do appreciate the kind mm-hmm. words. We, we've been evolving as of late. I mean, big shout out, obviously, to, uh, you know, to Destin, who's been there since the beginning. But, um, yeah, we've seen some, some evolution the past six to eight months. Fran's departure and then... Uh, Sean recently as mm-hmm. well, um, you know, transitioned over into 100 Thieves. Steven yeah. is now working still at IGN, but in a different office in L.A. And so, yeah, the show's, it's evolved over the past a little bit. But I think, uh, yeah, Brian Malkowitz has come in to fill the void and it's doing pretty good, actually. So it's it's we're still rolling. Absolutely. Yeah, and we, we love what you guys do. And I listened to your interviews during E3 with the developers at Bungie, and you guys were so professional and really on point with your questions and all of the content that you guys produce. It's really amazing that you guys are able to pump out content in such a 
professional speedy manner and the quality of everything that you guys put out is just top notch so we really appreciate everything you do for the destiny community and uh it's great to have you guys out there doing all the work that you do to keep the guardians informed well i appreciate that man thanks so much yeah absolutely so cj how did you get started in video productions and in the video games industry Ooh, two-part question, I guess. Um, It's, you know, it's weird. Sometimes people say, you know, perspective or your, um, the opportunity is just, um, you know, preparation meets opportunity, the the luck uh, expression there. Uh, I actually had no idea that I wanted to do video production, probably until I was in my late teens, you know, basically taking a program at college. I actually am Canadian. You'll hear it in my vocabulary still. I, I usually say process and, you know, abouts and stories, but I, I've, I've modified the vocabulary a little bit to say process now, like a, like an American. But I think er, <laughs> but early on, I ended up, um, yeah, attending a college and just kind of fell into doing, you know, video production, journalism, and, and then radio. And so I actually really appreciated the audio production, the radio side of things first. And so I gravitated towards that initially. But then after I did that, I started watching... Um, music videos, being involved in, you know, obviously been a huge gamer all my life, but then just seeing the internet kind of take hold of the gaming space. And then uh, again, shout out to Victor Lucas. There was a program way, way back when uh, that he still does today, uh, Electric Playground, uh, all that stuff in the late nineties really shaped the stuff that I felt like I wanted to do when I got older. And then IGN rolled into the scene. Um, you know, I've been following IGN since early two thousands. So it was one of those things where uh, being a big fan of IGN and, you know, their content and obviously then graduating from a couple of years of video production, you know, diploma program situation there. Uh, I hit up Fran Mirabella one day out of the blue in 2006 and was like, hey, man, I really want to go to E3 because IGN had a bit of a, hey, come help us at E3. We need video production people. It said more or less, if you think you got what it takes to hang with us, you know, send <laughs> us uh, send us your resume. We'll see if you you got what it takes. And it was a video-related job. That sassy Fran that speak. sassy Fran speak. <laughs> it makes so much sense to me now. Um, but back in 2006, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm just going to send a video-related resume because it seems odd if you send a paper one applying for a video position. It's, mm-hmm. Again, pre-YouTube, pre-Facebook, mm-hmm. pre-any of those things. I had a website, and I posted a video. Again, I've said this a few times. I would never show anybody the video now. And um, Fran loved it and replied to me within like 20 or 30 minutes. And if you know Fran as well as I do, and many of you probably will know him if you've watched his streams, if, if Fran gets back to you in 20 minutes, you know you've done something right. Because typically, uh, you know, we always joke for him being very uh, somewhat uh, tardy or usually late or on his own agenda. So I was amazed that Fran actually called me back like instantaneously. And I didn't know who he was at this point. And he was like, uh-huh. hey, man, E3's in a couple days. Um, you're from some random place I've never heard of in Canada. Uh, you got to pretty much <laughs> get down to L.A. And uh, if you want to, you know, make this happen in a couple days, uh, it's all on you. You know, there's just, uh, you know, it's not like a paying gig. It's more like an opportunity. And, and they would cover the uh, the fee to get into E3 sort of thing. So really wanted to go to E3 really bad. And from, you know, then on after that conversation, I'm pretty much you know, bought my own plane ticket, flew down, got my own hotel and said, all right, I'm here. And he's like, you are crazy, but welcome aboard. So that was 2006. 
That's really cool. Yeah. And from there, I've just been, uh, That's a- yeah, wanting to help out, meeting people in the industry and yeah, being really, you know, wanting to obviously understand a lot more about the gaming industry and development and all that stuff. Uh, just because I have a, you know, crazy respect for everything they do. So that was, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of it way back when. That's amazing. That was a, yeah. Cool story for sure too. Like <laughs> now, how long was the flight to um, E3? Oh to, man. I so believe it's Los Angeles, right? Well, so yeah, I was in LA and when you're from a small Canadian city, uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, like I was, you basically are never getting a direct flight anywhere. So yeah, it's basically <laughs> central Canada. So I, I would have either probably went somewhere like, you know, Calgary, Vancouver, LA, or, you know, Calgary, Denver, Los Angeles. So yeah, the flights, yeah. the flights anywhere out of small towns are usually you're hitting major cities first. But, um, but yeah, to me, like none of that stuff mattered. I was like, let's just do this. I want to go to E3 so bad. And I followed E3 in the gaming industry and all that stuff for a lot of years. So for me, it was just about the opportunity. I was like, I, I don't care. Just I'm going to make this happen. That's awesome. You followed your dream, man. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it is one of those things where, you know, if you're passionate about something, it's just waiting for sometimes the right opportunity. And I mean, at that point in time, I had been doing a lot of work for a bunch of different agencies and, you know, corporate commercial work and production for you know, governments and telecommunications and banks and farms, all that other stuff. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. Like I always, was excited about covering games and, you know, just being involved and looking at what IGN did on the outside. I had a lot of respect for what they did as well and followed their work for a long time. I was like, you know, I want to, want to be involved with this company. So yeah, that was the beginning of it way back when. Now, as you were working for these other companies like governments and corporations and different agencies, did you have in your mind that you were going to work with a video game related company or that you wanted to be in the video game industry i don't think at first i think it was one of those things where you know the the better i got at doing production related things the more i realized i could tailor what i wanted to do because i could just you know command either a certain type of job or a certain wage or a certain rate and then at that point in time i was like okay like like many people do people often do different things like they'll be like streaming or working a job or doing this and that and then pursuing the passion on the outside like in their spare time and when i mean spare time i mean oh the time you probably should be sleeping which you never want to advocate hey you know do 18 hours a day because that's what it takes to you know to make your dream job come true but it kind of does at first it's just a lot of work that sometimes you never see a direct clear path you just have to be waiting for that right opportunity. So no, I had absolutely no idea that, you know, I, I knew these jobs kind of existed, but I always knew that they were in California or San Francisco and LA. And I didn't really think that actually moving to, you know, outside of Canada would even be an option for me. But then once I realized I had met and had like a bit of an introduction there, that was my foot in the door. And I just kept that conversation going, you know, through social media and through, um, you know, volunteering for any other productions like Comic-Con and stuff like that. And so that, then it became a little bit more of a reality. And I was like, I, th- I think I can actually make this a possibility if they have a position that makes sense for me. And that's what happened. It was more or less they had people transitioning out of the company and they needed somebody senior to come in who had production experience. And I was like, I think I can fit, uh, you know, fit the bill here. And uh, yeah, that was it, 2016. Like it, it doesn't seem like I've been here already for four years. It, it feels like yesterday, which is what's really weird. So 
But, um, but yeah, didn't, didn't really have, <laughs> you know, any aspirations of thinking, oh, I'm going to get into video gaming production or, you know, that kind of thing. But I, you know, it, I've realized after that, once I got the skills, I was like, okay, I, I want to see if this is a possibility for me to do something like this, if I can. And yeah, it just, it just sort of happened. That's really cool. And now was the E3 project in 2006, was that your first project that you did with IGN? Yeah, that was the very first one. And I remember it like it was yesterday because Halo 3 was the big game. Nice. And that reveal trailer nice. was still, honestly, like I saw the one this year for Halo Infinite. That was really good. But there was something about that E3 reveal trailer in 2006 that was just like Halo 2 was massive. And Halo 3 just basically, you know, took everything Halo 2 did and kind of perfected it. I, I still like Halo 2, the game, better overall. But the marketing campaign yeah. and the accomplishment of what Halo 3 was on Xbox and the campaign. I actually like the campaign better in Halo 3. I think it was just a, at a crazy time for the gaming industry. And I don't know if we'll ever see something like Halo 3 again. It was it was pretty incredible when I when I think back to it. I put so many hours into Halo 3. Yeah. Like in so many into um playing just playing casual. Yeah. Like Slayer. Yeah, exactly. And everything. And sometimes sometimes uh the uh, competitive version, I can't remember what it was called, ranked, ranked play. Yeah. When you were playing ranked play and everything, you're like, yeah, just so much fun. Yeah. Was- playing with my buds and everything at the time. And that was like the building blocks for what Destiny eventually became, I feel like. So, yeah. You know, great game. Reach, re- like you said, Reach kind of perfected it a little, like, you know, it the closest version of what we have to the modern day Destiny. Yeah. Everything. So. Yeah, in many ways, Destiny feels like a evolution of what Halo was, and they refined the gameplay and the mechanics for the modern generation, and it's what we have today, and it's still kind of evolving as we speak and developing its own identity, so to speak, and it's really exciting where the game's headed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the coolest thing about Destiny is that Halo always was very defined as like, you know, your master chief, your shooter, it's all neutral ground. You're playing people with the same weapons and the destiny kind of turned that all on its head. And it's like, you're a guardian and you know, you can be different classes. You have different abilities. So there's this, there's a bit of a chess component to it. That is, you know, not every character on the board is the same. And you know, you it depends on how you play or your skill set or what you want to do and be. And then there's obviously like a PVE component to it as well, which is like totally not on my radar. That was something that you know, I, I wasn't a huge campaign guy and into a lot of those other PvE style games. I was more PvP uh, exclusively. So, you know, once I realized that Bungie took that special sauce and, you know, made it into a PvE game as well, too. Like, I love the PvE stuff, but I, I came into it as a PvP, you know, first person shooter guy. Definitely. And CJ, what what is the most memorable Destiny community moment slash IGN moment that you had since you got started? Oh man, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. That one's great. Who asked you that? <laughs> um, that was that was myself. Oh, there you go. Okay, I wasn't sure that was submitted or you. That's uh, one of our questions. For oh you. man. So here's the problem. There's actually a lot. Uh, and, and they kind of all blend together now because they're all so good. Like 
I have three kids, and anytime somebody asks you to pick your favorite kid, you just can't do it. You just cannot pick, uh, regardless of how hard you try. So uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of them. I think for me personally, probably probably the biggest one was um, Destin, Fran, and I went over to Bungie and actually did the IGN first, and. It, it was I com- remember that. Yeah, there was a combination of, I think I had done Guardian Con, and I had met um, some people at E3, like, uh, you know, we'd met, I think, um, Scott Taylor at previous events uh, at Gamescom, you know, Luke uh, Luke Smith and Mark Noseworthy, we actually, you know, talked to them at the reveal event uh, for the, like, the launch event in May for Destiny 2. Um, but then when I went over to Bungie to do the IGN first... The thing that I will never get over, it was kind of humbling and really weird, is that I've been a fan of the company for so long. Played, like I can't even count the hours or the years, actually. It'd be years of my life <laughs> playing uh, games that Bungie has created. When I went there, when people actually said that they listened to Fireteam Chat, I was like, my mind was blown. Hey, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, that would not exist if not for all the hard work that, you know, all these amazing writers and designers and developers and creators, you know, their blood, sweat and tears into the game for all these years. But for them to actually have said that they listened to the show and knew my name even like that, I was not prepared for that because I had been fans and you know, I, I've been a fan of all their work for so many years. So I know a lot of people, you know, are you, you feel like, you know, them because you've seen them in Vidox and, you know, from afar, you've watched them on stage and stuff like that. But then to have gone over and had conversations mm-hmm. during the IGN first, and then, you know, realizing that they, you know, listen to the show or did other stuff yeah. like that was, that was pretty crazy for me. Did you get to meet Dave Samuel? I did. All? Not only did I meet <laughs> Dave Samuel, I requested specifically to interview him for one of the pieces and at the time, awesome. they were like, oh, I'm not 100% sure if he's available. Let me find out. And I was like, no legend is safe. I've said this many times. Um, is was my favorite Vidoc, actually. I think it still is. I've gone back and forth. The last Shadowkeep Vidoc was really, really well done. But oh, pro- it was, yeah. It was yeah. Great. But prior to that, no legend safe. Um, it had Fallen Saber music. It had the introduction of all the new Year 2 Supers in Destiny 1. And just the moment where, mm-hmm. you know, Mark Noseworthy is talking about all these new supers being revealed. And then Dave Samuel comes in and the part where he's just explaining like the hunter bow and the Titan. And he starts, he starts doing his Dave Samuel. I'm, I'm not even going to do the impression because we all know what a Dave Samuel impression is. But I was like, we need to get this guy <laughs> in one of our IGN first describing all the site, the Titan super abilities and the hunter super abilities. And he did it. And he's just, he's the most animated guy. I have so many outtakes of him talking about so many crazy ways to implement supers. It was hysterical. So we could only use a portion of it, but it was like my moment yeah. where I was like, Oh, this is so good. <laughs> this is Dave Samuel's finest. That's awesome. Like the whole, the whole story there is like amazing. Just being able to like get that instant gratification yeah. from people at Bungie saying like, yeah, we listened to your podcast. Yeah. And everything. It, it, it was, you know, it was really surreal. It's, it's still, it, it's still to me like very humbling. I, 
you know, I, again, when, when that happened, because there was a lot of people who, who aren't at the front facing of the company as well, who listen and say, you know, hey, yeah, we really appreciate your guys' take. You know, sometimes maybe a little too much salt. Other times it's nice when, um, you know, you got some, some good feedback for us. But, yeah, just the fact that they listen in general, I, 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 I don't know. I just I figured they were, like, too busy <laughs> working on the game or, like, oh, whatever. Uh, but I, I feel like it's they do that with a lot of community members, and it's great because, I mean, even seeing Datto on there last week for the reveal and obviously they're taking place mm-hmm. in, in guardian con right now and they just are you know they're involved in the charity stream and stuff like that it's it's really good like they've i think they've done a really good job at you know being involved in the community with a bunch of different people so it's uh yeah it, it's really cool that's really amazing and yeah i i think that uh when you get that type of validation that you know the people you look up to and idolize they watch your content they've heard of what you do like it's it's a very rewarding feeling and i've kind of been having kind of the same feeling lately since we started podcasting because we've had you know people come to us and say that oh i listen to the podcast and it's like really you listen to us like that's so cool because we've been following you for the longest time and we have so much respect for what you guys do so it's it's such an amazing moment when you know, especially with a company like Bungie, I mean, for them to follow and listen and really respect your work, it really means so much. So that's, that's really amazing. Yeah, it's cool. And I think that, um, I think that's what, you know, we've said this so many times, you know, there is something special in Bungie made games and, you know, this, this happened way before, destiny you know i have friends that i've made in halo 2 and 3 and have met and stayed in contact with in real life for the past 10 12 13 years so it's not just destiny like there is like this tlc recipe in their dna that is clearly felt where they you know i know that's one of their taglines like they make worlds and experiences that people you know can can be a part of and share experiences together so yeah, it's it's uh it's very true. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And you can totally see that too by even if you just tuned into their uh, Guardian Con stream today, like when they were up for the four hours of their block, just super awesome people that work there. Yeah, just great human beings. Yeah, yeah, and you, you could tell they really care about their work and what they do, and they're very passionate and very um, wanting to make everyone happy and make everyone enjoy their game and you could see that through all the vidocs through the interviews that they've had uh in the past and it's it's such an incredible company and they bring people together in a way that i have never seen done before and it's such an awesome feeling to be able to play through your first raid with your friends and the level of camaraderie and the level of coordination that it takes it's it's incredible yeah yeah the the qa the test you know all the people who work in that department i know you know put so many countless hours into that to just make the experience incredible and you know for all those times we point out flaws uh in the game there is 
you know, so much that the game is doing on the back <laughs> end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I didn't see. I know that they, Luke was on there talking about it briefly or something to that point. I don't know if we want to. Or the wolves. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, the that, that gun. Uh, I know it's a, uh, it's wrecking. But yeah, those are the kind of things where again, yeah, um, yeah being being yeah. a live service game, and obviously, you know, with the success they've had. You know they've also had some setbacks too, so it's like they're they're pretty good at taking you know the good with the bad, and obviously we've said this just talking just before the show, just you know trying to make sure that uh, I, I hate saying that we are listening thing, but trying to make sure that they're taking community feedback, but also you know still being able to implement the things that they think are important and following their vision to to what they want Destiny to be, and that doesn't always align with what everybody wants, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who have. Um, you know, different perspectives and interests yeah. in the community I, as well as like the this, studio too. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like this is the best communication that we've had with Bungie. I think almost since the beginning of destiny. It's, like, it's funny you say that because I still remember when there were leaks about roadmaps in destiny, when the vanilla game came out and these are things you wouldn't really expect to get from Bungie. These are things that people would data mine and find through confidential meetings and, and spreadsheets and presentations. And now Bungie is the most open about the game and where they want the game to be in the future than they've ever been. And I love that about Bungie and about Destiny today. Yeah, I think um, I think well, so. We did a Vidoc, um, I think it's called the vision of um, Destiny's vision. It was the very first one we actually did um, for the IGN first. And Luke Smith actually said in that uh, surprise and delight, you know, there's a there's a component of it that they want to it to kind of remain a secret so that you can be surprised by it. And then he also mentioned the fact that, you know, his first experiences in games, the things that he likes the most are the part where the game is new and you have that water cooler moment. You can talk to your friends and do all that stuff. And then Steve Cotton and Scott Taylor in the Forsaken Vidoc actually kind of mentioned that again. And they're like, you know, listen, like we we know that not all these are going to land. Like sometimes they're going to be received positively and sometimes they're not but we're going to give it a shot and then when you see things come out like um a zero hour just fantastic you know those are the kind of things where you go oh my goodness so glad we didn't know anything about that you know so it's i think there's always the struggle of wanting obviously to remain open with the community but also needing to obviously keep some of it a little bit secretive or hidden because yeah there is some kind of mystery in you know not knowing and you wouldn't want to know the end of a movie right so um, I had, I, and I actually had Scott True. Taylor call me out on that when I, <laughs> I actually, I, uh, I actually asked him, I was like, so I, I think this that. is going to happen. He's like, Oh, you don't want to know every time. Like, stop asking me these questions. I was like, all right, that's fair. That's fair. That was great. That exchange made me laugh like hysterically. <laughs> it was awesome. Just, it was yeah. so funny. It was he, so cool. And he's absolutely right. And I mean, I, uh, I, I really like Scott. I've, I've known Scott for two, three years now. We've, you know, I've done interviews with him at Gamescom and he's been on uh, the show now, like Fireteam Chat, as well as various IGN shows over the years. And yeah, he's just, you yeah. know, he, he is kind of a, a bit of a loose cannon. Uh, his Twitter feed is amazing. Uh, he should have his own reality show, but um, yeah, I mean, he's absolutely right. There's just those moments where, 
Yeah, you, you don't always want to know everything that's happening. And it's it's the reason why I think that they're secretive about some things, right? Because they just want to, yeah, they want, they want to have some surprise and delight moments for us. And then sometimes there's surprise right. and delight, and sometimes there's just surprise and not delight. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of part of the part of the game. And that's kind of the challenge with, you know, building a video game, because what most people don't realize is that when someone builds a game it takes a lot of time for them to develop a new game and for bungie to be able to respond as quickly as they do to player feedback it's actually pretty incredible for them to be able to work so diligently to correct a lot of the things in the game that maybe didn't pan out like they had hoped some would say it takes patience and time. <laughs> no, I see what you did there. I've heard that before. To patience do it right and time. Now. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> do it right. Um, so, CJ, what's what's the average day like over at IGN? Who you you uh, do you want to preface that with like leading up to E three or post E three or like maybe uh, in January after the review rush? Uh, it, it really kind of depends on the month. So. Uh, maybe I'll answer it like this. There, it's a very, I've been here now for about four years. It's very cyclical in that almost the way you, you know, compared to destiny content, there's seasons. And right now we are going through what I consider the craziest, absolute rush, busiest time in the entire year, because it's basically event season. So we're prepping for E3. Um, I just found out that I'm probably going to Gamescom. Uh, trying to actually figure Gamescom, out. Gamescom, yep. Yeah, Gamescom's coming up. And now Guardian Con is next week. So trying to, not 100% sure on that yet, but uh, trying to lock that one in. It might be going at the last minute. And then um, the Comic-Con, yeah, Comic-Con is the end of July. Gamescom's the end of August. PAX West is the early part of September. PAX West, yep. And those are all events and, you know, things that we cover. And I'm usually part of the field, you know, production team and the video production team that does a lot of the scheduling and the interviews and you know conducting you know all the video production related details so um right. yeah, it's 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 busy and so there's just an average day is you know walking in somewhere between 9 30 ish or so or 10 having morning meetings uh, right off the bat discussing everything that we're planning to do that day and then it's usually a meeting or two with um you know my direct report so i have like a team that works with me and then we kind of divvy up, you know, who's doing what today. And we have a bunch of different shows that we produce, a bunch of different content, um, exclusive things that we're usually working on with other developers in the background. And then a combination of, yeah, actually then implementing and, and filming all the stuff. So it's a combination of filming and editing and production meetings. And, you know, but that's that's in the office. I am out of the office a lot. So I'm out of the office almost four to five months of the year on, you know, miscellaneous trips to I just got back from Vancouver. I was filming some stuff there and then um, leading up to E3 in LA and then getting ready to go to San Diego. And then, um, yeah, I think it was in Toronto. They're pretty much traveling all across the Canada and the, you know, the American countryside and then Germany as well, getting ready for Gamescom. So lots of traveling. So it depends on what you do, but me personally, yeah, the average day at IGN is, you know, a lot of video production behind a camera or reviewing edits and, you know, managing different tasks. But then sometimes I'm, I'm on the road with camera lights, gear, setting up for developer interviews, gameplay capture sessions, uh, embargoed material, 
and all the rest of that stuff. So it, it varies, but um, it, it's it's a great job. I absolutely love it. It's one of those things where, again, I never would have thought I'd been doing something like this in a million years. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a good gig. I really the enjoy lemon it. is worth the, the lemon is worth the squeeze. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That literally sounds like a dream job. <laughs> like that sounds amazing. It is. It, it, it's one of those things where so cool. I, I, when I said that we started at nine thirty or so, it's that's that's a little on the later side, which is nice because in San Francisco the traffic is crazy. But then sometimes I'm here at the office to like six thirty ish or so, maybe seven by the time you know you avoid traffic and go home. But um, yeah, so long long days, busy days, but in a good way. It, do, it doesn't feel like I'm spending you know eight to ten hours you know begrudgingly being here. Like any of the stuff that I'm doing at IGN, I am usually very, very fortunate enough that because I'm into games and movies and entertainment culture and stuff like that, there's always something that you can assist with and be a part of that you usually either enjoy or you have a common interest with other people. And yeah, I sit across from Destin and Steven used to sit down here and, and sit across me for a year and Brian Malkowitz, he's also on the show now. We, uh, we interact and work a lot together in the day. So, and then a bunch of other great editorial and social and, um, you know, a bunch of other staff who does a great job as well. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there's a lots of uh, video production going on there at IGN. There's so many shows that you guys do and things like that. And now that you guys, yeah, like you said, you're in your busy season right now of all the live events and everything. So yeah, it's just. I mean, you know, to to give you an example, yeah, just just all the preparation for the live events. Um, I am actually working on a bunch of stuff for Gears of War. It's now Gears Five. So just the preparation of that prior to launching it all was crazy. And during E3, there's a bunch of interviews that I ended up doing that were fairly high profile, which was super cool. Um, being involved with uh, uh, interviewing uh, John Bernthal uh, for Ubisoft. And then also um, I get a chance to be behind the lens for a Keanu interview for uh, um, Cyberpunk. So. Yeah, those are th- yeah, those are things that, you know, again, if I was to think about, oh, you know, in 10 years you might be, you know, producing interviews and content, filming Keanu Reeves and, you know, all these other people that you've idolized because I'm a huge fan of the Matrix and a bunch of other, you know, productions that he's been in over the last years. It's uh yeah, that that kind of stuff just happens sometimes out of the blue and it's pretty crazy when it does. Very cool. Now, you mentioned that you're traveling five months out of the year. Is it challenging to travel so much and have a family, a wife and kids to have to also take care of? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, That is a joke pretty much during Fireteam Chat because I am one of the only guys in the office who's married with three kids. There's a couple other people, I think, who have a few kids, but... On the video production side, yeah, most people are either newly married or <laughs> like Destin just got married. Very, very fresh. Yes, Destin. exactly. As of Congrats. like a couple of weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is one of those things where, again, I have to always give a shout out to my wife and kids because, um, yeah, it, it's something that I established very early on. It was very difficult early on in my marriage. The last four or five years, uh, again, my wife is fantastic. It's, I wouldn't say it's a non-issue. It's, there's issues when you're missing real life stuff, which is the biggest part of me that's difficult. The older that I get, uh, you know, the more I want to be involved with my family and those kind of things. Cause I realize, you know, they're growing up super fast. And so, 
Uh, it's definitely difficult, but we've kind of made it work and there's a system that, that works for us, but you know, definitely if it was a problem, it would, uh, <laughs> I would not be uh, as enthusiastic about all the travel as I am, but yeah, sometimes my wife has actually come, um, you know, on, on trips, uh, we, we ended up doing a, um, a, a gamescom trip last year after, which was kind of nice. Uh, she ended up, um, you know, coming to the tail end of that trip and we ended up spending uh, some time in Rome and Paris and stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's there's some benefits, but still around the office, I'm I'm the guy who usually travels a lot. Me, Brian Malkowitz, and uh, another video producer I have here. His name is Andres. Uh, yeah, we're we're on the road a lot, so it's definitely it's something that I tell somebody if I'm interviewing them. I say, hey, this requires a lot of travel, and depending on your you know your personal relationship or situation, it's yeah, it's it, you need to be comfortable with traveling because it's uh, it's definitely part of the job. And CJ, what do you do when you're not playing Destiny or working at IGN or traveling? That encompasses <laughs> a good... If we were to look at a pie chart right now, <laughs> that's, uh, that's about 80%. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times, honestly, the last little bit, I've really just enjoyed spending time with my family. I, my, my kids are pretty big gamers. I feel like naturally they just inherited that from me. Apologies, kids. Um, but, you know, now that they're getting to be Perfect. the age that uh, I can actually coordinate with them, we're starting to play Destiny together, playing a lot of Apex Legends together. They carry me in that game. Uh, Fortnite, they absolutely just can destroy people at their age, and it's mind-boggling how when you throw a keyboard and mouse in front of somebody at a young age, they just assume that that's how it's supposed to be. They build so oh, fast. It's crazy. My my son was on a little Fortnite clip-out show that we did uh, a little while ago, and everybody's looking at him, and they're like, holy cow, like, how old is he? I mean, he's turned 12. Like He is really good. And I'm like, I know. it's It hurts me. He's better than me. I know. It's but because they grew up with Minecraft, so they already yeah, have the building. Absolutely, already, yeah. You know, but so I mean, it's but uh, yeah. Besides family stuff, I mean, like uh, you know, we've been watching a lot of Netflix. Just literally relax. Well, as I say the word relax, I'm watching Chernobyl here. <laughs> this is not a relaxing show. Uh, but yeah, to be able to just like hang out, spend time with family, watch uh, watch TV and stuff like that. I'm not I'm not a big hobby guy because the games are kind of the hobby. So I was one of these people who you know the hobby turned into the career and the job. So the lines blurred between uh, hobby and and job. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's really cool. Still, you know, it's just enjoying you know the best parts of you know, the, the whole game is sphere. Yeah. You know, absolutely. It's like throughout. Now, CJ, what are some challenges that you face today with working in the video games industry? Hmm. Now, now, is there anything specific that you mean? Like what, what would be, because that feels like a, a broad question. Is there well, anything specific? For example, I know that the community can be, very mixed some people can be very toxic in the community or ah. even how the industry is changing where you know we're no longer relying on cable for example for a creative medium now everything's more so on youtube so we always have to keep up with the trend and what's new yeah. in the media industry so so there's a few things that i think that i can dive into there um yeah, I would say social media just in general. Let's just, let's just 
label it or blanket it as that within the context of even IGN as a site, right? Like IGN site, I would say has largely survived off, um, you know, really positive reviews. Um, and when I say positive, I don't mean the score. I mean, just, you know, people who are reviewing games at IGN, people have, you know, felt like they've connected with and felt like they've done a good job over the years. And and that system has carried forward. IGN as a website obviously had a lot of comment and interaction on the site. And then since there's kind of been an evolution of, I would say, social media platforms. So from Twitter to Facebook and then YouTube and all the rest of that stuff, I would say the biggest challenge for us is trying to stay um, relevant in trying to figure out where do we focus our time and energy and attention to in what platform specifically, because, you know, while the website I think is definitely, you know, relevant to a certain age demographic, you know, when I watch my kids on, you know, Instagram or if they're looking at Twitch or doing all the rest of that stuff, like they're, they're a little young, they don't have an account since and stuff like that, but they interact with other people and, and watch other people's content via those platforms, which is pretty crazy because, even within the span of a year, I mean, it was only a year since Fortnite and Ninja were a thing. And that's still mind boggling that that sort of cross collaboration with, you know, A-list celebrity like Drake and then the notoriety of Fortnite and everything that Epic is doing. And then it kind of correlating with just, you know, people who are really invested into growing their own audience was, I think that was pretty incredible. Like I, I still, I think that was just a moment in time that may never happen again. I, I think there'll be, you know, new ninjas and Tfus and there'll be other people who, who are really sort of, you know, representing a certain platform like Twitch or Mixer or whatever. But that may have been a peak that is there for a little while until some kind of new social media comes along and who knows what that is. But yeah, just, just being on top of all those trending sort of products and platforms and trying to understand them and trying to relate to the audience that are on those platforms too. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big challenge, I think just in general for everybody, not, not just IGN. I think video games are like the most accepted, like in society that they've ever been and everything up to this point. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like, there's so many gamers across the world and everything now, which is great. I, I think yeah. that that was something that, you know, within, within culture now, it like for as much as Fortnite is probably, you know, people are maybe over it in a way. Like I would say there's the other thing that's happening now. It's like, uh, okay. Um, it was super cool to see just, you know, Fortnite dances, people understanding, Oh, this is like a video game that, you know, my kids are playing most of the time I would say to people, Oh, I work in gaming. They're like, Oh, do you play Fortnite? And prior to that, it was usually, you know, oh, I've heard of Halo or I, I play Mario. So Fortnite or it was the Wii or it was like the explosion. with Yeah, the Wii absolutely. And in 2006 like, with Wii. Yeah. yeah. So there's always yeah. those like mm-hmm. cultural moments where something comes into, you know, consciousness of just everyday people who are not gamers. And I think that, yeah, that was kind of cool the way that that Fortnite did that in in 2017, 2018 there. But um, yeah, but it's but like I said, it's just there's all these things that are now a byproduct of that with, you know, obviously, you know, looking at streaming as a career and YouTubing as a career. And, you know, it's it, it's super difficult. I think that just if you were to ask those people and I, I don't stream for a living or, or we produce YouTube content, obviously, within the context of working for a company. So I know that, you know, I'm getting it in a paycheck, but 
you know, I, uh, I have a lot of respect for people who do that on a nine to five daily basis. And that's their full-time gig. Cause I, I'm not sure if that is something that I could do, you know, it's uh, I'd imagine it's pretty difficult. Yeah. We had uh, James work on the podcast. Uh, I want to say two weeks ago and everything. And he's helped so many people in the community uh, being a raid Sherpa that he's in as he's helped uh, almost f- like, I don't know. He's done like 5,000 raids wow. in destiny. Too. That's crazy. That's <laughs> At least yeah. ten thousand guardians is what. Um, yeah, that, that's crazy. And the and the fact that there are those kind of people out there who feel committed to doing that and having those shared social experiences with other people, I think is fantastic. Those those are always my mantra for you know raiding and uh, you know playing PvP matches. Is like I'm super competitive and I want to win, and and that's why like it kills me when I'm not able to take part in some of the right. world first raids and stuff like that because I was getting ready to go to E3. Um, but I used to watch your trials matches. Oh, there you go. You you saw the sweat. I was, I was ready to, uh, you know, one, one last one for about four more hours until we got to the lighthouse, uh, multiple times. So yeah, those are, those are baked into my DNA. So I, I understand all that, but then the reality of my situation is, you know, when you do have a wife and kids and a nine to five job and all the rest of these things, you know, I do not like using those yeah. as reasons, but I, I have a lot of respect for people like Datto and Glad and anybody else who's committing the time to actually get into these because it is it is not easy yeah. by any means. Yeah, we actually uh, had Houndish um, recently on the podcast too, and yeah, the last amount week. of work mm-hmm. that he puts out it's it's incredible, and yeah. it's he's he's like a one man show, so it's. It's crazy that you have such dedicated content creators, especially in the Destiny community, who work so hard to produce such incredible content. And it's it's amazing to see a community gather in such a way and to do so many amazing things within our community. Yeah, and yeah, I actually listened um, to that podcast. And yeah, I, I think I've, I don't know how just personally, but I think we've met just briefly in passing, I think at E3 and... Um, yeah, that, I mean that—that's another thing. When you were asking me about those those destiny moments, I mean, Guardian Con was another one. My very first Guardian Con when we did Fireteam Chat there live, just actually meeting so many other people in the Destiny community, you know, face to face after having followed them on Twitter and watching meeting their Cosmo. content. Yeah, and like meeting Cosmo, Me, and meeting Destin, sharing a beer with Fran was awesome. <laughs> it was it was such a it was such a great time. Just uh, that's awesome. Hanging out, chatting. With Absolutely. Them and you know, yeah. Just, all, all in this sort of shared really cool. interest thing is, is super cool. And, the, and that, that is definitely another moment as well too. just being able to be, yeah, a, a part of this thing that we all kind of enjoy doing and, you know, are all excited to play and be a mm-hmm. part of. Yeah. I would love to attend guardian con this year probably won't work out, but next year I'm going to try my hardest to, attend i know shadow yes, price yeah. was um, yeah. in guardian con back when it was called destiny con remember that right yeah, yeah. back in the early years and yeah. uh yep it, it was I met cosmo i met triple wreck there i met destin i met fran um it was uh yeah it was it was it was a really cool moment i met mesa sean and people from uh, guardian radio at the time yeah nice and everything so yeah, yeah that's it super was, cool it was awesome yeah, last year actually, me and Shadow Price went to our very first gaming convention together. We went to PAX East, and it was such an amazing feeling to be surrounded by 
other people who love what you're passionate about, who love video yeah. games, who love to make video games, play video games, share video games. And it's just such an awesome feeling to be around like-minded people who love what you love and to get a chance to experience all the new games that are coming out and get to shake the hands of the people who make the games that you love to play. Such an awesome feeling. Absolutely. I mean, that was basically my tweet from just a couple days ago. I got a chance actually, well, besides having Scott and Raylene and Deej on the, the show there, um, you know, big fan of the Respawn team as well, too. They, you know, obviously Titanfall 2, a lot of them have done, you know, many Modern Warfare or Call of Duty games. And then, you know, just them taking that same kind of passion and energy and putting it into the Titanfall franchise as well as now Apex Legends. Yeah, getting a chance to talk with those, you know, people there as well, too. Just so talented. And the dedication and energy and time that they put in behind the scenes that, you know, nobody realizes or will probably ever know or will maybe never be able to understand or thank. I mean, yeah, thank you is not enough. But I do appreciate that, um, you know, there are people like that that are out there doing this kind of stuff because, uh, yeah, the shared experiences that they're able to create with these games is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, CJ, what would you say is your proudest life moment so far? Oh, this is, see, the problem is this is where the dad of me comes out. The dad of me will always say, you know, being married and the birth of the children. It's, it's the, it, it yeah. seems cliche, but it's very, very true. Like, you'll never forget the, that moment of, you know, you know, I, I, my, my son being born. It's just, that is the nothing will make you cry faster exactly nothing you, will make you cry world. faster and lose it then yeah i i exactly i don't know what it is or just something where your life flashes before your eyes in a span of like five seconds and you're like what is happening um but yeah i mean uh, if, yeah uh, yeah mm -hmm. do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about every single one of my kids i bawled my eyes yeah. out yeah, like, yeah. You know, and, and, and at different times like it's not always you know, in the moment, it's mm -hmm. maybe a day later or a week later, or when you're sneaking in to just look at them sleeping in a crib. It just there are different times when it happens, and then yeah, you just you yeah. just lose it, and it's happened to me three times uh, in that regard. But if you're talking, uh, you know, career wise, um, I'm not sure. It's it's funny. I've had now. A few things. I mean, I'll say maybe one of my most memorable ones uh, that I've had was when I was at E3, I think, 2010. And uh, I think the DS was just announced. Obviously, being a gamer, being a huge fan of... Oh, yeah, 3DS, yeah. Nintendo, yeah, sorry, mm -hmm. 3DS, yes, thank you. Uh, being a huge Nintendo yep. fan for many, many years, getting yes, a chance me to meet uh, Miyamoto... And um, wow. interviewing him, yeah, with uh, a couple of people from IGN and being behind the lens in those interviews. Um, yeah, like that. That's amazing. Yeah, that was one of those things where of, of all the people I've, I've met and interviewed, I, I, I don't get, I'm not the type of person to get starstruck. But, you know, when, when I've spent a good portion of my life playing Mario games, and Zelda games and all the different franchises mm -hmm. that they, you know, that Nintendo has created. And you understand obviously the influence that he has had over that IP and that, 
you know, what that system has meant, you know, culturally now in our lifetime and all the influence he's had in the industry. Yeah. yeah. Just, just meeting him and just, you know, talking with him for a few minutes and being behind the camera lens to actually film interviews. And I've now done that, I think three or four times I've met him on three or four different occasions. I was also at the switch launch as well too. You know, it was him and Anuma, um, breath of the wild creator. Those are some pretty special moments yeah. when I look back at them, just knowing full well, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, like I've I've always like there's even a gun in Destiny named after Miyamoto. It's called Bronze Miyamoto. Oh, Bronze right. Miyamoto. And it was in D1. I remember I somebody I remember somebody saying that, yeah, and I wasn't sure if that was legit or not, but I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, so those, I didn't those, forget it. It's just one of those things you don't forget, you know, yeah. when you see it. <laughs> yeah, but th- but those moments, I mean, I I've always appreciated just being, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge, when I do fire team chat, actually, it's very weird. I am not somebody who really is an in front of the camera type person. I'm, you know, my personality is a little quieter. You know, I have an opinion, but if, you know, you disagree, I, I don't care. Like I don't need to fight or combat or, <laughs> or get amped up about whether or not I'm right or wrong. I just have my opinion just from my life experience. And when you get a chance to see and meet those people, yeah, I love being the fly on the wall, just listening to, you know, those moments of, you know, they created these games and these moments because of their childhood experiences of, you know, Mimo said one time, like going in a cave and, you know, just the sounds in the cave and, and the stuff that, you know, he saw there, it was like a journey and experiencing and that's a little bit of what like Link is, right? So yeah, all, all that stuff and, you know, take watching it, watching somebody describe it and then seeing it in you know, video game form with like music and art and story and design and, you know, the complexities of all those games. Like Link to the Past is actually my favorite game of all time. So when, you know, you've played that, yeah, and then you actually have met some of the people who are involved in that that creative process, it's, uh, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, and I think um, for myself and for Shadow Price, we we love Nintendo, and I grew up playing Nintendo games. I grew up on games like Super Mario World. So being able to play games like Mario Odyssey and Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Switch, it's so amazing. We're huge Nintendo fans. We absolutely love Nintendo. And actually... I know we talked about uh, PAX East. One of the coolest things for myself about going to PAX East was actually getting to play some of the upcoming uh, N- Nintendo Switch games. Like at the time, Dark Souls was coming out and uh, we got to play. Oh, no, it wasn't Dark Souls. I think it was. Wasn't it Wolfenstein? Well, it was Wolfenstein and it was um, uh uh, dead cells I dead believe, cells I thank you gotcha. yeah. yeah so it was such a cool experience getting a chance to play these nintendo games and i can only imagine how amazing it would be to actually meet uh mr miyamoto and my goodness that's that's so awesome yeah no he uh bill Trin has been his um you know sort of translator for a lot of time so it is kind of like you're having a conversation with um <laughs> bill but yeah um you know about Reggie, did you get to yeah, meet Reggie? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Reggie as well. Yeah, I've I've I had a chance to be behind the lens for a couple of interviews with Reggie as well. Who, again, all very nice guys. And when, especially when you watched um, Reggie leave and you saw all the different sort of memorabilia that he had in his office, and you know those final tweets that he ended up doing. Um, yeah, it was just that they're so 
they're just so the right people for that job. And it was really cool to see Reggie all these years kind of just, you know, work his way into that. I don't think anybody else could have came in and been, you know, the type of person that he no. was in the moment. You know, he, he just was a great fit for the company. I, I mean, the man said at E3, I'm there. He's there Taking to kick names. ass, uh, <laughs> take names and make games. Yeah, exactly. Like so. Yeah. But I remember Famous that. quote. I remember that. From Reggie. <laughs> yep. So that, that was really cool. Now, yeah. we have another question from our one of our listeners, uh, 21. Thank you so much for your question. And 21 wants to know, do you think Shadowkeep has enough to keep Borderlands 3 at bay come this September? Ooh, so guilty confession. Maybe you guys can help me out here. Are you guys Borderlands players or no? Because I am not. I love the Borderlands series. I've played a lot of Borderlands 1 and 2. Yep. So I'm a pretty big fan. I actually did pre-order the collector's edition of Borderlands 3. So I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous because I don't know how I'm going to be able to play that game and maintain Destiny Grind. Yes. (laughs) Because Shadowkeep and Borderlands are coming out so close together. Uh, but it's kind of one of those good problems to have, right? Because there's so many amazing games that are fighting for our time. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so it's weird. So, oh, go ahead, Shy Bryce. Well, I'm with you, CJ. I'm not a huge fan of Borderlands. Um, I play, like, to play with my friends when they ask me to, usually. But I don't really care about the lore or the story or anything with it. You know, there's some funny jokes in it, and the guns are awesome. And it looks like the gunplay they've improved upon in Borderlands 3, so I'm excited about that. But my heart's more with Destiny, I have to say. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. I I have nothing against Borderlands. I just didn't get into the series. It was not one of those things where I didn't enjoy it or I didn't like it. I'm guilty of being one of these people who kind of tries it for a little bit, and then if I... If it doesn't like catch on right away, and, and you're right, the absolute problem is I've always been invested either in Bungie or you know Titanfall at the time, playing even Call of Duty and a lot of those other games. So I've I've always kind of mm-hmm. been like a shooter guy, which is a little bit weird that I missed Borderlands actually, but I know that there's not the PvP component the way that it has traditionally been in my brain. You know the way you'd play a first person shooter. But um, but looking at um, the stuff that we've seen here in the office and Brian Malkowitz, he's a video producer that works with me, also on Fireteam Chat now. Uh, yeah, he, he's been a huge fan and he's super excited about it. And so, I mean, I think, um, yeah, you know, so to answer the question, I would say that does Shadowkeep have enough to keep up with Borderlands 3? I think still two different audiences. This question, you know, you could replace Borderlands 3 with um, Division, Anthem, um, any of these other games that have come out in the last six months. And I think that it's good that they're around. I don't think it's a competition thing. I think the Destiny players will still be Destiny players. And if Borderlands 3 has enough draw for the PvE side of players that want that, I think that those people will obviously be gravitating towards what Borderlands 3 has to offer. But I think you'll you'll have people you know who are into these type of games kind of bouncing back and forth between those two games anyways if they're into just, you know, the lore and the type of game that they are. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Every time that somebody talks about a destiny killer and then that question is not, I don't think it's stated that way, but nothing's been able to yeah, do it. I, I still think that, yeah, I still it. think that it's just, you know, the fans of that franchise will go there and play it. And then fans of destiny, if they're the same people, they'll just ebb and flow a little bit back and forth, depending on, um, you know, what's, what's there, but I am excited yeah. about shadow keep and the moon and a bunch of other stuff that we're going back to. 
And if it is anything like Forsaken was, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was playing Forsaken for a lot of months. It was, it was really well done. And a Black Garden raid too. Yeah, oh, exactly. That's so exciting. Yeah. And the nightmares, like, what's that going to be like? That's so exciting. No idea. Yeah, I think that, you know, in Eris coming back as well, I think that it has a potential to be very cool. I've, I've often said on the show that, um, and I mean, maybe you guys can help me out. I, I don't quite understand it, but I, I know it's legit. I see this in our comment section, but I don't know if it's people who are playing the game or if it's just people trolling that, oh, you know, it's reskin, reused content. It's absolutely not. Um, I I don't agree with that. Yeah. Like, I don't agree with that. You know why I don't agree with that? These are planets and worlds, you know, you can like, you can't just say, oh, we're bringing it back. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like a same level or anything like that. These are, these are worlds. They can go to other places in the world yeah. or in the, on, on that moon or on, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't understand why people get upset about that. And yeah. I've never quite understood you know? that, but I, it's something that I see. And so I want to acknowledge that there are people who feel like that. I personally don't. Uh, I, I would understand it if Destiny 2 was, oh, hey, here's the five planets that were exactly like Destiny 1, and we're now just calling it Destiny 2, and there's a new upgraded weapons. But it's not that. And right. I have a feeling that the moon will be some of that. I think it will be a lot of the same locations that, you know, we've woken the hive. and uh, you know, I, But I want those things. Like I, I want those little bites of nostalgia to make me remember what Destiny 1 yeah, was. It's- it's the familiarity and everything that you know yeah, the connecting absolutely you know, tissues yeah. that is you know brings all these worlds together and all these stories and things like that like yeah these places didn't blow up or anything like that they're still there yeah you know there's no reason why we can't go back there because they've changed over time mm-hmm. and, and i for so from that standpoint i think that um yeah the moon will be pretty cool to go back to it was always my favorite destination in destiny one and um yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited. So I I don't know what Shadowkeep has to offer from a gameplay content standpoint, but I'm excited that they're bringing out a couple new you know PVP maps like they they redone Widow's Court. Um, that's coming back. There's probably going to be obviously like you said new raid, new campaign, and uh, yeah, now the little announcement there about you know the armor and the Eververse armor 2.0 and everything. It's uh, yeah, I'm excited for the stuff that they have coming up as well as all the cross save and you know, the different kind of features and implementation of things that they've been talking about the last week as well. Yeah. And I think this is one of those situations where you can't really please everybody in the community. You're always going to have individuals who may not be happy with the content they're producing. But I think that if you're a Destiny fan at heart, if you've been playing from the very beginning, I think for them to reimagine the moon it's actually a very cool thing because it allows you to go to a familiar area, but it's different now. It's been taken over by new enemies and it's much larger now in size. It's I think they announced that it's going to be double what the moon was before. So I'm really curious to see what additions they make and what changes they make to the moon and even to see characters like Eris Morn coming back that's very exciting because these are familiar characters from the past whose stories haven't fully been told yet so it's going to be really interesting to see how they develop those stories and how they piece everything together and I I'm so excited to go back to the moon personally and to see what's changed and how the story will evolve this fall 
Yeah, and I want Venus next because <laughs> Venus is Venus is my Ven- favorite. Venus location. is pretty. Venus yeah. is pretty good. I liked Venus as well. I feel like Nessus was a little bit of the Venus got the Venus treatment, but not quite the same. Yeah, but not I love the, the color palette of Venus. Yeah, I so do too. I love the that's color exactly palette. Exactly what of Venus. I was gonna say. I just, the color palette of Venus uh, with like those you know earthy browns and orange tones with green. It was mm-hmm. yeah, it was really good. I and I, I think Venus would actually be my second favorite. I like the moon and the music. V- it was and good. the music and Venus with the Vex and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, the, the moon it. was just the only place I feel like in Destiny that was very you know, visceral and a little bit frightening. And I, I still think that while I, yeah, cause you had the high yeah, burrowing down. Abs- absolutely. And, and, and exactly. As you mentioned, burrowing down dark below, you know, not maybe necessarily my mm-hmm. favorite raid, the crota raid, but the most special, I played the crater, the crota raid the most because I could pretty much solo it. And when you yeah. had to do the lamps as a hunter, Viz Hunter, it's still one of my favorite moments oh, yeah. where I remember that. Yeah, my teammates were all down. I'm like, don't worry, guys, I got you. And you know, you just I got my don't touch exactly. me. I got the don't touch me. <laughs> I got everything blink strike on. And you know, just just yeah. doing that moment in the first part with the lanterns and everything leading up to Crota was was super cool. It that will always be a very I, I mean, I love Vault of Glass as well, but the Crota raid was uh was pretty special still. Yeah, I think the Crota Raid was probably my second favorite next to the Vault of Glass. And the Vault of Glass was probably my favorite because it's the first raid we ever encountered. Yeah. So it was very new. And I think that to this day, it's probably the most challenging raid that we've had. I know that we've had some other ones like uh, King's Fall. Uh, but I, I, it's something special it's- about going into the Vault of Glass and experiencing you know, the confluxes for the first time or having yeah. to shoot oracles with green weapons. These are all special moments that I think I'm never going to forget. Yeah. The- and it was really hard in the beginning. Oh, it was. really was. So you got that eight <laughs> down have that vision of confluence. Yeah, or vision yep. of confluence. Yeah, you need an oracle disruptor. I think it's weird that, um, you yeah. know, looking back, like, I would definitely say that there are, you know, not to disagree with you, I think there are way harder raids now but I think that the there's been a focus on minutia details now versus pure teamwork and coordination. Like it felt like Atheon and Crota and all that, it was very mechanics based team coordination versus now there's just, you know, oh, what does this thing say? Oh, there's this random symbol. Well, like like there's a bunch of things now where you're like you need to have an abacus. To, to complete the raid. Yeah. yeah the, the first few times you did, you had to like... Heard looking at the left, exactly, fish diving What down. are you talking about? <laughs> um, and that that is cool. And that I like those things. But over time, I, I just don't think they translate into memorable experiences the way that those first few raids did. But, um, but, but I'm glad they're changing it up. Like, I'm glad that they're, you know, having different sort of, you know, mechanical elements that are that are in the the thing that makes destiny special you know it's like the way they their raids are and everything like i'd never experienced anything like that no before yeah and and, you know so and and i I, like i said i came in as a pvp guy and so yeah when i played vault of glass and crota just the technical sort of detail and level of excellence in a first person shooter game was off the charts it was still something that i think is not really rivaled by anybody when somebody told me that this when somebody told me that this first like this takes like 12 hours to do i'm just like 
What? Yeah, I know. Like, I remember thinking that too. Why would thing, you do that? 12 hours? Pfft, yeah. Man. Yeah. Why? And, um, <laughs> and that's how long I think it took. I think that it took 12 hours to beat Vault of Glass that first day yep. and everything. Yep. So that word got around. <laughs> Those were some really special times. Very special times. Yeah. And um, Shadow Price, do you want to take the next question for CJ? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, what important lessons can you share with our listeners who want to work in the gaming industry? Uh, no, not not that question. Oh. The one before not that. Not that question? <laughs> I can answer that one too after. Yeah, we'll do that one right after. But we have a question by our good friend, Rory Butler. Who... Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see the updated. Oh, My I'm bad. sorry. <laughs> okay, so Rory Butler wants to know, on behalf of a jumping challenged friend, do uh. you have any tips to make him less of a scrub at jumping puzzles? <laughs> yes. Don't be a warlock. Hope for bones of AO to come back as a hunter. Oh, that's it. Bones. Bones. Oh, bones. Oh, miss them. Uh, but and yeah, this is <laughs> why I am a hunter main. There and you I go. miss my bones of AO. There you go. Very much. And I really hope they bring it back with the next expansion. I do too. It's. I'm sorry. The stompies just don't cut they it. They don't. It's, it's, it's not it the same. It makes you fly too. It's too high. It makes you fly too far forward. Yeah, it's too high. Yeah, exactly. Too far. It's uh, Stephen and I, um, when we were playing Destiny, we would play 1v1s often in Destiny 1. And Steven is really good at the game. Like, Steven is probably one of the better players I've ever played in Destiny 1. Um, like, personally, I, I've, I've played against other players in the Destiny community. I think I've played, like, yeah, like Triple Wreck and Sir Demetrius. So I, there are amazing players that I've also played with, but Steven is the only person that I've actually, like, gone into, like, a 1v1 session, and we've actually kind of, you know, pulled out Ice Lunas and just talked strategy for different things to do. And at first, like, the triple jump sort of bones of AO, I, I wasn't understanding because I always wanted, you know, my jump, the directional jump. When you have bones of AO, you can go jump back and forth, but also added a certain speed to it. And so when Destiny 2 came out mm -hmm. and Bones were not in the game, and it hasn't been in the game now for like, you know, two plus years or whatever, it's still the jumping mechanic as a hunter just doesn't feel as good as it does in Destiny 1. There's something about I the agree. velocity. I like the sound effect, actually. I don't, I don't mind the sound effect in Destiny 2, but there's something about the velocity, the you know, jumping mechanic when you're falling to the ground, the recovery time to get your weapon up, or if you're too high, it just destiny two does not feel as good as destiny one in that, in that regard. And I, I cannot put my finger on what it is, but it has something to do with the physics and the momentum and the height of the jump and the, the duration of the jump. It's just a little too high and it's not as low to the ground and it, it doesn't push you forward as fast. And it doesn't matter if you have agility and mobility and all that set on, like it just, it, it makes it slightly better, but just not yeah. as good as it was in Destiny 1. You had more forward momentum in Destiny 1, but you had more control still. Absolutely. Of your jump. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's how I feel. Yeah. yeah. So, but See, uh, I really love Destiny 2 because being able to play it on PC, the frames are higher. So I feel like I'm flying and the movement is so fluid, so good. So you're right. I agree with you there because I'm playing Destiny 2, uh, albeit with a controller. I apologize. Um, on PC a lot for that reason. And you're right. Six We're guilty too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There you go. Controllers. Yeah, controllers for life. <laughs> um, 
controller voice. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> you're right. The sixty versus thirty or one hundred forty or whatever you're playing versus thirty is a massive difference, and that's the other thing. You know, I, I don't know what's going on under the hood in console, but Destiny, Destiny one at whatever frame rate it was running at, because it feels like it was more than thirty, feels better than console Destiny two at thirty. It just doesn't. Yeah, the feel thirty. You're right. Like real thirty. You're totally right. The thirty of Destiny one was better than the thirty of Destiny two. Yeah, 2. There, there's I'm just some constantly. kind of frame blending or aliasing and stuff that's happening in Destiny one that even when I go back in Destiny one now and pick up my IS Luna, I can play a game right now and I feel absolutely at home, like it was yesterday. Yeah, but. If, Try to use a hand cannon. That's not the fast firing archetype in Destiny Two. No, it's like you're fighting your weapon for the like, on, for the first console. six months of playing that's Destiny Two on console, where I was trying to get the best hand cannons. Everybody's telling me to play Better Devils and this and that, and I was like, it just does not feel as good. There's just something going right. on with recoil yeah. or under the hood or whatever, and I don't know if it's potential or the not. Bloom. The, yeah, bloom the bloom, or, yeah, the bloom was just, just didn't feel right. So yeah, yeah, like. But but you have to remember too in Destiny One it took a while for those weapons to kind of populate in the meta so I always thought that oh maybe once year two or three comes out there'll be better weapons in Destiny Two that will feel good now I feel like uh, Ostringer is that weapon and I don't have it on it's, console yet but it, it seems like it kind of can compete with that hand cannon uh, feel but not still quite Ice Luna level or Palindrome level. Yeah, it's not as crispy as Is Luna was and everything, but it's 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 close. Yeah. You're right. It's definitely in the ballpark for yeah. sure. That was very yeah. I definitely detailer. missed the Is Luna. <laughs> yeah, miss it. Definitely missed that weapon. Now um, we have a few more questions before we move on to the next segment. And the next question we have for you, CJ, is: What important lessons can you share with our listeners who want to work in the gaming industry someday? Yeah, so this is one that we get fairly often, and I've heard other people at IGN ask this question, so I've kind of evolved um, you know, what I think. It, de- it probably depends on what it is that you're doing uh, or want to do because, I mean, obviously, like, I'm a video producer. I don't, I don't write a whole lot for the site. I can write. Uh, it's not something that I do often. I mostly do scripts for video-related things. But, um, yeah, it really depends on what you're doing I, or what you want to do. I always looked at stuff... Um, and, and, you know, creators or people that I, that I liked even back when, before YouTube existed and I basically emulated them. So I remember early on, um, you know, there was a bunch of cameras and stuff that were starting to become readily available that were kind of new and they were still cameras. And I didn't really know photography very well. I knew how to use video cameras, but photography and, you know, lenses and a lot of other stuff was very different. And I can't remember now. It's all blending in, but I think it's probably mid early two thousands. Um, there was basically what was called a DSLR movement. And I don't know if I'm talking over people's heads or not. So I'll keep it a little bit generic where pretty much, I think Canon kind of lucked into this as well as it was a Canon 5d Mark II and a Nikon D 90, I believe where you could do video in a still photography camera lens. So now all of a sudden video looked very cinematic using these digital SLR cameras. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can emulate some of the stuff that I'm now seeing people do that I've always 
had such a high regard for as like, oh, this is the type of video content and quality productions and stuff that I wanted to produce. So, I, I mean, you know, I've done a lot of work with friends who we've done high profile stuff for Nikon and, you know, a bunch of beauty shots for corporate, you know, agencies uh, around the world. And so, yeah, getting a chance to actually emulate something from somebody that you like is good. And so if you're able to do it on your own, eventually, yeah, just like I was saying before, just waiting for that opportunity to present itself. Cause between YouTube and even having an iPhone and streaming, or if you're in, you know, wanting to get into content, there's a way you could do or emulate what IGN does or what, you know, your favorite streamer does or what your favorite YouTuber does. So if you want to do those things, either saving up the money to buy some of the tools, read up on how to, you know, do editing or do video production or, you know, the process involved in creating content and then waiting for that opportunity. And then I think everybody would always say, look, well, I, you know, I, I want to just put myself out there. And it's like, I think where it goes from being something that you want to do to something that you're able to do or maybe do for, you know, professionally or for a job is just about being confident that you can do the thing that you say you're going to do. And I, I think that that's, that's maybe the biggest thing that I would say is that a lot of people want to do it. They may not know where to start. And so when they don't know where to start, they just don't start. <laughs> so start anywhere, just, just do something. And then the more you do it, the easier it gets, the better you are at it, the more opportunities will come your way. If you just put yourself out there and say, Hey, you know, I, I reached out to so-and-so I saw they needed a video editor offered to do some editing for them or somebody mentioned that they wanted me to film something. So I started using a camera on the weekend and then I reached out to so-and-so and I filmed. And that's how I started out really early on doing a lot of different miscellaneous videos on the side because I thought it was fun. And then, you know, went to college, took that and got a little bit of the education. And then a lot of the stuff I've learned. Yeah. Just by reading online and, and doing and emulating stuff that I've seen. So I would say, yeah, just, just, that's really just good do. advice. Do if you can. <laughs> yeah. Just do it. Just like Nike says just in their slogan. Do it. Absolutely. Just do it. <laughs> so final question before we move on to our E3 discussion. What is your take on Destiny 2 Forsaken and the annual pass now that all the content has come full circle and we pretty much know everything that's part of the entire Forsaken yearly content? Well, this is, this is good because you're giving me some FTC prep because this is probably going to be a topic that we talk about maybe on Fireteam Chat. Um, I think that... So I've always looked at the annual pass as uh, something a little bit of a test you know, content thing because I think they were listening to the community feedback and they realized how much time and investment there was in you know quarter or you know, if you want to call them sort of quarterly content drops, the way Osiris was and Warmind was. And with the amount of time and energy they put into those campaigns and the content that was in them, they were not well-received. Like, you know, did you guys enjoy Warmind and Osiris? Warmind a little more. Osiris, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think Osiris really missed the boat for me. A low point. Um, it was for one of, yeah, too. it was kind of one of the lowest points sure. in the game, right? With Osiris with Osiris, was. I think they made a lot of missteps with 
that expansion. I think uh, Warmind fixed a lot of the things that Osiris did wrong, but it was just a step in the right direction. It wasn't really a full reimagining of what Destiny should have been. So I think that it didn't really quite become the game that I really wanted until Forsaken came out, until they really made a lot of the bigger, more monumental changes to the game that just fixed a lot of the things that were missing in the vanilla Destiny 2 experience for me. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think that, um, I think to, to go along with that, if you're a PvE player or a PvP player, whatever you're focused on, there were both sort of different things that you were missing in, you know, Warmind as well as Osiris that got mostly sorted out with Forsaken. And then they added a whole bunch of other things like Triumphs and, you know, collections and all that stuff. They really did overhaul the UI and, you know, do some really, really positive changes yeah. to the game. Um, I felt like PvP was unplayable during that era. Yeah, like, like just, the year it, one PvP was very, very different. Like, if I actually think back to it, you know, no, like, well, we've said this a number of times. Like, two primaries and one power was... That was a dramatic shift that just did not really sit well with anybody. And I don't think that looking back at it, when you have all your power weapons, quote, quote, in that one slot, assuming that shotgun was a considered power weapon back then, you really did change the core of what made Destiny enjoyable in the PvE and PvP space. So then, right. like, content I feel aside... Like it didn't resonate with people at all. Absolutely. Sure. So content aside... You had that in the mix. And I think that Warmind and Osiris will forever be potentially just black sheeped because of some of those design decisions at the beginning of Destiny because the content just didn't feel engaging. It felt very repetitive and very stale. Yeah. Now, there were bright spots. There were like two bright spots, I felt like, from Osiris and uh, Warmind. Uh being the Eater of Worlds with Final Boss uh, from Eater of Worlds. Yeah, yeah. Argos. Was, Argos. Uh, Argos. Ar yeah. Ar Argos, I think, ranks is probably one of my favorite bosses in Destiny, my favorite encounter in Destiny 2, actually. And, I, and I've said that a number of right. times. I think it's a combination of the mechanics to, you know, destroy some of the elements there that are on him and then the DPS phase and then the mobility phase of having to climb up him on the edges of, you know, his body to, to find weak points yeah. of him. It, it's really well done. Like, Argos is probably for sure my favorite encounter for destiny 2 and um right and i would just say like the comeback of some of the you know really good weapons like sleeper and whisper of the worm the whisper of the worm mission yeah for warmind i, I yeah. felt was, absolutely like, and, and those yeah and so there's there's definitely moments that you have to pluck out of it because i think even the campaign for the most part was was pretty good when you play it on your first playthrough like i actually really enjoyed the campaign I was a little bit miffed that, you know, I felt that there was going to be a second phase of Gaul. I just felt like, you know, okay, here we go. This is the main battle now. I was waiting for <laughs> to take out. I, I know. felt the same yeah. way. Oh, my God. Like, he was Gaul. getting ready to final <laughs> yeah, form. Final like, form. his true form yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, and it's like, he's dead. It's like, yeah, he's, really? He's gone. That's yeah. it. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> but I think when you look at that yeah. as a whole, and then even the reveal of the tower at that point, because that was a secret up till then. That That's that true. part yeah, was yeah. awesome. So the campaign was good for what it was as a first playthrough and playing through once. 
But the strength of Destiny requires you to play those missions or those campaign elements over and over and over again. And they were not really accessible because they were tied behind Ikora's memories. And then there was no random drops and there was no, you know, like like rolls and the loot. So there's a bunch of things in Destiny 2 year 1, as great as it was, will just always kind of be marred by a lot of those other backbone sort of changes that they made that, you know, we'll, we'll never know why they made them. Like, we'll never know probably if it was, you know, an Activision influence thing and then wanting to make the game more approachable to a larger audience or if they just, yeah, really wanted to shake it up to try something different because some of the feedback that they did put in there is like people wanted a slower time to kill and people wanted, you know, no grenade spam and no super spam and no this, no that, even for PvP. So, yeah, it's the, looking back, it's it's crazy that now... Even for me, I, I feel like Destiny 2 is at a really, really good place. Like, it's it's really fun. Yeah. The yeah, the season pass stuff is, I, it was good, but it wasn't a, enough of um, of a variation of different content elements in it. I think, looking back, it's just... Right. It was, no strikes. Yeah. No, no more, yeah. no new strikes. That's no right. new Crucible maps. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, no new Crucible maps, no new strikes. They were things that we were already doing in Destiny, and they felt arbitrary. It was like, oh, run here and do mm -hmm. this. Why? There was never any story built into it, and it was always, if there was, you didn't feel incentivized to do anything to get the cutscene. Like, I got to go shoot these 10 guys in this location. Cool. Why? There's no reason right. besides just do that to get this cutscene. And so, yeah, I I think that if they're able to either yeah incorporate newer strikes more often or have those kind of content pieces spread out a little bit more they might be able to do maybe a mix of you know what forsaken is but then move into like an annual style pass if they were able to spread that out but yeah so it's somewhere in between yeah. forsaken and seasonal content if that is a good answer <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's really well said, and uh, I feel that for me, every expansion in Destiny Two had something to offer that I enjoy. For yeah. example, to this day, I still use the Icolos shotgun from Warmind. Yeah, and I loved what they did with um, Escalation Protocol. Protocol, yeah, absolutely. For the first, for the first hundred runs that I did, it was amazing, and then yeah. I finally got my Icolos shotgun, and I kind of stopped playing because you know I've gotten my gameplay out you of it. Got the bread. Got yep. the bread. That's right. And <laughs> bread. I did get enjoyment out of it. And as we also mentioned with the Osiris expansion, it brought us Argos and that encounter, which was really, really awesome. They did such a good job with, in my opinion, with that whole raid layer. It was different. It was unique. And it wasn't as time intensive as some of the other activities that we would play during Endgame. So I think that they did some really interesting things there. And also for me, I don't know about you guys, but I miss having... That campaign, even if it's a little campaign, even if it's three missions, I'd rather have that than have nothing. And yeah. I think that with the annual pass this year, they kind of let go of the whole campaign aspect of it. Kind of like what happened with Black Ops 4, where they just completely said, we're not doing a campaign. And yeah. I think that storytelling should be more interactive. It shouldn't just be here, do this quest, and that's how you learn about what happens or you just hear an npc give you like a little speech and then you're doing missions or different activities i, I think going forward it's going to be a little bit of both actually yeah 
you know, they're going to have your story beats and your, you know, your story, your cutscenes and things like that during Shadow Keep where you interact with Eris Morn and things like that. Um, and then I'm sure there's going to be the missions that are after, you know, the story that will take place that won't be so cutscene heavy and things like that. And I think that's how it will go even further on the season past us on the seasons yeah. and everything like that. Because let me just say, like Menagerie is an awesome, really fun activity. And I think one of the best implementations of uh, being able to choose your own loot yeah. that they've ever like put into the game yep. and everything. You know, and you're also getting callus in your ear the whole time yeah, while you're doing it too. Absolutely. So you're getting like you're getting some of that like dialogue yeah. and everything. Yeah. Too. So And I, I really like what they did during this the annual pass with the invitations of the nine where you did get some cutscenes and you got to learn more about the drifter and the nine and they flushed out a lot of the lore that was missing before. And the way we got to experience that content, I think, was really well done. Right, because we never really knew exactly what the Nine were and what their you know plan were was and everything with Marasov and the Drifter and all these other sentient beings that they've been talking to. And yeah, so. and, and I, I like that stuff, too. I think that the, the biggest challenge is, is that when you're doing the same content that you've been doing from year one and it just feels kind of arbitrary it, it just doesn't feel it didn't feel rewarding enough of gameplay to warrant those cutscenes. i felt like it would have been cool had we mm -hmm. experienced something new now again i say this very selfishly not understanding anything about development time and what it takes to produce campaign you know missions and levels and strikes and i know from talking to them that it takes an incredible amount of time i think i can't remember what they said that the designing of um uh, the zero hour quest took something like six months or something to that effect. And so, yeah, I remember uh, them saying yeah. that. And, and yeah. so then, you know, there's a whole lot of intricate details that go into, you know, just like quality and test and design. And, you know, so again, I, I'm sure Trevor alone probably took like a month and a oh half. Oh my gosh, who knows? Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm very aware that everything that we say that we want potentially with, factoring in everything else that's going on simultaneously in the game. Like the biggest thing that happens every time they make these announcements is like, Oh, shadow keeps coming out, new planet, new destination, new maps, new this and that. And we were doing all that stuff in the background while we were doing the season pass. And so those are the things that, you know, they, that's the thing I think about a live service game is that you, you never stop. <laughs> so that's the part yeah. that I think is kind of overlooked uh, by a lot of people sometimes. And to piggyback off you were saying, um, basically saying that Destiny 2 is probably in one of the best spots it's been since launch. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they have like a million current concurrent players last weekend? Yeah, I, I think I saw so, something like that. Like, yeah, between um, the PvE and PvP activities. And, and that's awesome. And every time that a new raid launches yeah. or new content launches, uh, it's super cool to come back. I, I love watching all the streamers uh, dive in and do the raid race. Yeah. And, you know, being involved in that stuff early on. It's, it's really cool. And I think people like, you know, they've stayed because they're enjoying the menagerie and everything. Cause it's just, it's a six player activity and you can go in and get loot Yeah, and you can keep it. It's replayable. Yeah. And everything. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, really well done. It's fun. And yeah, that uh, Ostringer, I'm going to be farming that for, uh, <laughs> I'm a hand cannon yeah. guy at the core. I always wanted them to bring Ice Luna back. This is, this is the Ice Luna equivalent. 
Yeah, you can definitely see it in PvP right now, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I still have to grind out for mine, <laughs> but uh, I do a plan on playing some more of the Menagerie and trying to get some of the awesome loot in that activity. And I'm also excited to uh, talk a little bit more about what's coming in the not-too-distant future on January 25th with the Heroic Mode, and that's something that was discussed in this week's Bungie Weekly Update, or This Week at Bungie as we know it now. Uh, but before we dive into the Bungie Weekly Update, let's talk a little bit about the Season of Opulence, because uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff with this season that we already got and there's quite a bit that we still haven't even played yet that we have not explored i know we talked about the menagerie and we briefly talked about the iron banner uh that just came out this week now what are your thoughts on this current season of destiny do you guys like the current state of where Destiny's at with the new season of content i'm enjoying it i this is the most i've enjoyed destiny 2 and i think since we started playing it in the first week it's a lot of fun you know there's some good chases out there it's good content you know i've already you know gone on to say that i really enjoy the menagerie and i and i like the raid i like that you can one phase the boss now and everything so that's a lot of fun and just getting in there and just uh it, it's still fun to do those mechanics though and everything even leading up to the boss and stuff and you know just uh the little the quests we have coming up and the heroic mode looking forward to that and everything so yeah i mean i'm I'm back in i'm playing and i'm enjoying it yeah and uh cj what are your thoughts on the new activities that we have with the new season of opulence yeah no they're they're solid i uh i recently like i said just got back to e3 a couple days ago so shamefully i have not even yet played the raid um but it is one of those things where yeah just play understand play, <laughs> play a menagerie and mm -hmm. uh trying to you know start grinding for weapons and you know even now with truth i know that you can't get it right now i think the next opportunity is um you know, when boss rotates in the menagerie, I think on like July, week of July 2nd, it's going to be or something like that. Um, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, this is the first time that there's really been a major content update in June. And that's one of the things that or like early July. That was one of the things that I was saying uh, on our last episode yeah. of Fireteam Chat. There's always been releases um, that the earlier part of the year, you know, March or April or whenever, and then typically you'd have, you know, like a Rise of Iron or, um, you know, Forsaken. Reveal or, at yeah, yeah, exactly, a reveal. Mm -hmm. And so then they'd be teasing those things in June that wouldn't release until September. So now it's the first time yet. Yeah, we have a bunch of stuff to do in June. And for me, it's kind of the double-edged sword. It, it kills me because I can't actually play it all this month because of the amount of traveling that I've been doing. I've literally been out of the office 10 days if leading only up to destiny 2 was on the switch I know, exactly only it was on the switch yeah i, I play it sometimes <laughs> uh you know i have a portable laptop that i take with me when i when i can but no it's awesome i think a lot of these things are you know i've said this in the past too about just um um the cooking and the different little things that we had in the dawning activities are, are kind of elements into this you know 
chalice sort of thing. And I think it's really cool. I think it's actually probably done the best that has been done yet in the game. Uh, and then just the loop grind for, you know, what it almost like what black armory was where you could kind of, you know, isolate the things that you wanted is, is even better and more, there's more depth to it and customization. So yeah, so far all the stuff that I have played, but I haven't got a chance to get into a whole lot. I'm really enjoying. And so this, this is great that this will totally carry me through September and uh, yeah, this was typically an empty month where you were literally just waiting around for the next DLC to roll out in September sort of thing. So yeah, this is great. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys. It, it feels like there's more to do in Destiny now than there's ever been during this time of year. And I think part of it has to do with them releasing a new raid that's so well done and the menagerie that's in my opinion the best iteration of horde mode that they've done thus far i think that the pacing of the activity is really really great and i also think that the rewards are really fun and the way that you acquire the rewards it's different and it almost feels kind of like the first step into building destiny as a mmorpg it's giving you the ability to customize like your weapons crafting. and craft like your weapons your craft. yeah, yeah. Mm. and i really really like this mechanic and the way that every encounter just flows i think it's it's so well done and they used the leviathan raid or not the leviathan raid but the leviathan sandbox in the most perfect way where it just comes together so so well yeah, canonically, they just basically said the hive basically set up shop down here and like, you know, created a bunch of like, uh, you know, chitin, rooms of chitin yeah. and everything. So, yeah, and it was really fun playing through the Crown of Sorrow raid. We actually did play the first weekend that it was out and it was a pretty challenging experience. But at the same time, I think that it was the furthest that we got to finishing on that first day yeah and i i think that was a really cool moment for myself at least and yeah it was hitting the wall we we just hit the wall like we hit that dps wall yeah unfortunately yeah you know that's we just didn't have it and then you know a week later like you know now it's just like it's going in there easy getting done in a half hour and everything yeah so. yeah it's those, a really fun raid the, the, yeah those changes i i really dug that they implemented for the first 24 hours you know, we've had that conversation on Fireteam Chat a lot about, you know, when's the best time to release the raid? Like, mm -hmm. you know, two hours or, you know, two or three hours, maybe after six hours, three days, two weeks. And, you know, there's been a combination of variations for almost every raid. Like, you know, Last Wish released pretty quickly, yeah. um, but not too long. And then, you know, they didn't really communicate the power level until the last minute. And then Destiny 2 launch was a little bit different. Um, you know, so, so there's been a, a, a bunch of different ways that they launched the raids, but, uh, yeah, this latest one I, th I thought felt pretty good overall. I felt like that was not too bad of a way to do it. And even the, the level capping for 24 hours, I felt was pretty cool. I actually did uh, listen to your uh, latest episode of Fireteam Chat where you guys did talk about the contest mode, and I very much agree with you guys. I think that contest mode really worked out really well this time around, and it was the closest that we got to having a leveled playing field for everyone who's 
competing for that world's first because it almost became like the staple of destiny when the new content comes out everyone is racing for that world's first title and there's more on the line today than there has been ever before with the award ceremony that will be taking place during guardian con to celebrate that world's first team yeah. and those really cool belts that are being uh distributed too yeah yeah it's pretty cool it's one of those you know it, it's only again for a very small group of people but it's the dedicated people and it's pretty cool to watch those things uh transpire even online like i love watching it yeah and uh, i remember when bungie they sent out care packages to all of the teams that beat the the whisper mission the very first team that beat the whisper mission they got a very special package from bungie and it's little touches like this that you don't often see in the video games industry where developers go out of their way in such a really cool way to celebrate the players and the accomplishments that we have done in the game and it's really really cool to see that level of interactivity between developers and the player base yeah yeah i agree it's you know awesome yeah now we, we do have a new week of destiny content and this week we did get a new iron banner quest line have you guys gotten a chance to play through any of that content yet not I think I'm at the third step of mine right now. Yeah, not yet. Um, I'm, I'm, I have to get super kills and grenade kills. Yeah, I basically right picked now. it up and was playing a little bit last night, but uh, no, not enough time. That's that's the tomorrow and weekend grind. Yeah, same same for me. I actually started playing Iron Banner yesterday with the new quest line. I'm slightly disappointed that we don't have any kind of a storyline with this. I was actually talking to Shadow Price. Uh, weeks prior where I told them like I really hope that they give us a little bit of a story even if it's not a lot I'd love to see some kind of an introductory story to what we're playing and I think that would be a really nice touch to it um, I also heard that with the new quest line that it's pretty grindy in order to complete the entire quest and we did have some friends who did complain about the activity just being too grindy just to get a specific set of armor. Yeah. It is kind of grindy. I mean, I definitely agree with that. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you have to get different kills and, you know, with your abilities and all that, you know. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and the rewards may not seem completely worth it because, I mean, what is it? Just basically your one armor? basically like isn't that what we had i think in the beginning of destiny 2 with for the first iron banner yeah i mean it looks a little more shinier now i guess but it, oh and it has a chance to roll with enhanced perks that that's the thing it has a chance yeah. to roll with enhanced perks and that's why people are going for it i think right now and they're in there and playing yeah, I think that's the really cool thing because i never really understood why the enhanced perks were kind of hidden behind Dreaming City and the Last Wish Raid and nothing else. And it's really nice to see Bungie to incentivize players to play other things to get those really top-tier armor builds that we all want to chase after, like the enhanced uh, perks. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like those too. Those are one of the things that, again, I mean, you know, we were talking about things and changes that are coming up to shadow keep besides obviously the, um, you know, the armor 2.0 changes and stuff like that, um, in disc strength and, you know, the customization of, you know, armor and stuff like that. I really, really miss that stuff in destiny one. And I'm glad that there's You're tier 12. You're yeah, tier absolutely. 12 yeah. Like I, I, yeah. like yeah. I grinded that forever because I just wanted Same. to get like the best role or this situation for trials. Like I wanted to have, you know, angel of mercy. So I could give myself like more super if I was reviving my teammates and all these little things, but then you'd also change them back and forth depending on whatever game type you're playing. Like if you're playing a raid, you'd maybe equip this, or if you're playing PVP, you'd equip, you know, the other different, um, you know, perk build on it. So yeah, that, that's super cool. I really dig that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that I'm just glad that they're are incorporating these things back to the game. And hopefully they're going to rework the subclasses too, because I would like to see more customization with that. Yeah. Again, like how we had in D1. Yep. Like, I really miss my Blade Dancer. I know. Like, I miss a hunter blinking. I wonder if it's something that they'll sneak in there. Uh, rip the blink. That we'll be able to blink. Rip hunter blink. As hunters again. <laughs> yeah. Because that was my, that was, that was my loadout. I was a art, I was a Blade, Blade Dancer. Yeah. With blink, yeah, hunter, I know. like that. Feels that's what weird. you love doing. If if I wasn't doing that, then I was wearing bones. Yeah, like if I wasn't blinking, I was wearing bones. Pretty much. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely one of those things where I think in the moment it it might have been like the right decision within the context of because I've had this conversation a few times with other people like your build in your tree and I, and I appreciated what Destiny One build tree was as well. But for the most part, you probably only change between two or three different perk options, right? Like, you know, I know on my hunter, yeah, like yeah. the odd time, like for the raid, I would go uh, like the crouch in Viz one, but then the rest of the time you'd have it on, I, th I think it was like uh, backstab or, or something like that. But you, you would, there's not very mm -hmm. many combinations of the tree you would have changed, but the fact that you could do it felt liberating especially now you could get quick draw you can get quick draw yes. for uh, the blade dancer Ab absolutely too. so those are the kind of things weapons. that when when it, they broke it down into the subclass trees not to mention the fact that you actually can't change them without losing your super when you now right. are picking them if there was other sort of things that were able to tie off into them with your armor or allowed you a little bit more functionality into the super with the armor, that would be good too. Because, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, they, they clearly can break them apart. I feel like they're done properly to balance the game for PvP and PvE. And a lot of their armor decisions and right. choices and stuff like that they're making are based off those being locked that way. So I don't know how that would work if they undid that. Um, I, I think it might break the game in other ways. Right. So, I mean, I, I would like it. I, I, I just, I don't see that probably happening, but. I think they're going to head that way though. I mean, because with them adding the artifacts back and having so many different options for, you know, adding, you know, different mods and things like that and abilities. And I'm pretty sure that they'll be able to work that into the subclasses too. Yeah. Eventually, maybe not there, maybe not for shadow keep, or maybe just you know some you know small uh, changes that they can do, but I feel like they can even they'll be able to flesh that out even more. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it's like obviously they're able to. I just think that there'd be a crazy 
balancing of PvP and PvE, which is something we always talk right. about. Like, how do you actually balance those things? Because typically, fundamentally, anything that makes PvP fun or that makes PvE fun always breaks PvP in a way that's infuriating. I, I think that there might be some right. <laughs> of those things that would transpire if given the option to select exactly what you wanted. Um, you know, yeah, like if the Lord of Wolf's apart. nerf in PvE <laughs> yeah. has become, uh, you know, a broken weapon in PvP. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see Bungie do a little bit better at balancing the weapons separately for both PvE and PvP because I think that the way that weapons work, it they, they need to be customized to what you're playing rather mm -hmm. than, you know, making the weapon act in the same exact way, both in PvE and PvP, because that's how you get broken weapons that frustrate people, especially with, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, when Gambit first came out, a lot of people were using the sleeper oh, and yes. it was like the deadliest thing <laughs> when you were invading. And that's just one example where I think that they could have done a better job balancing from the beginning. And if they mm -hmm. separately balanced for the different activities they have, I think it might make the game better in the long run. And then when they got the Queen's breaker, it was even more broken <laughs> after that. Oh, the aim know? assist on because, that was, was yeah. dirty. Yeah. yeah, but they, um, but yeah, that's where I think, yeah, having different perks on the armor or some kind of attributes, um, you know, like 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 they're kind of doing right now, boss spec and whatnot, that makes it make sense without having to break apart. Like you, you offer some of the things that are in the supers, but you only allow it per armor slot or something like that. Because um, yeah, I mean, it's but it's possible. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying I don't want them to do it. I just think that. I always think from a balance standpoint, like how does that potentially break the game for for both players? Because I, you know, again, as a PvP player, I, I love playing PvE, but I don't think PvP should be the focus. I always think the PvE needs to stay fun and the PvP, it, it's, it will never be balanced. It's never going to be balanced because you have three different characters. You can pick any weapon you want, your starting weapon, your power weapon, your energy weapon. The game will never be balanced for PvP ever. Yeah. So just, you know, as long as it's not absolutely terribly <laughs> unbalanced and there's only one weapon dominating the meta the whole time. And I, I think that yeah. uh, Bungie's doing a pretty good job so far with maintaining that balance because now you have weapons like Mountaintop that you earn in PvP, but we're learning more and more that these are weapons that are super effective during... The new raid, for example, if you have mountaintop, it's a really deadly weapon for or the swarm of the final raven encounters. Swarm, yeah, of the raven. swarm of the raven from Iron Banner. It's really nice to mm -hmm. see them make these weapons shine a little bit more in other activities. So you have a reason to play through the entire game. So now, even if you're a PVE player primarily, you kind of want to get that mountaintop because it's really good in that raid. Yeah. Or the recluse, because it's really good in PvE yep, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Re the recluse is also really good, yeah. So it's it's really interesting to see how they move forward, especially in the fall, with some of these balancing changes, especially with Destiny announcing that they're going to embrace more of the MMORPG style with the game, and they're going to 
allow more of those features to shine coming this fall. Right. We can see a lot of broken builds out there. I'm, I'm exactly. sure. <laughs> At least they'll look but good, But they though. said it. They're like, At least they'll look good. Wanted you to build your monster-killing machine. Yeah. You know, they, they, that, they kept emphasizing that. You know, so. Now, with Destiny 2 changing to a different style, do you guys think light level will exist come this fall? Do you think that we're going to be trying to reach that 800 or 850 light level or do you think that entire system will be changed completely where light level may not even be a thing anymore i don't think it'll be changed completely i think it'll be tweaked though i think it's i think the emphasis is not going to be completely on level light level and things like that we're going to have a lot more to chase i feel like building you know getting per your perfect builds down, you know, chasing that, that perfect, uh, tier 12, you know, however they have it set up, you know, um, all the different, uh, hopefully quests and their new exotics and things like that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of horizontal progression and lots of carrots to chase and things like that, you know, cause they, they said right from the beginning, the end game is going to start as soon as shadow keep, like you're going to be in the end game basically. Yeah. And they want to bring people forward to that. You know, that's why once you go through the stuff in New Light, uh, you know, you're going to be up to 750, like they said, in a matter of hours. Yeah. Because they want everybody to be able to experience it. Yeah, it's it's weird. I actually, I'm not, I'm not sure what I think about Light Level because I felt like I played so much of the game in Destiny 1 where light level became just a number it was like a vanity number as much as it was same like a gameplay mechanic same. number and when you're playing the game as long as we are it really only affects your first couple weeks of a new piece of content but yeah i guess i guess i think that's where there's no reward for getting no. like you know there's no yeah yeah absolutely not and and that that's it's, what i mean like unless there's some kind of gameplay mechanic over time that is beneficial for you to have a high light level. Most people power through, try to get the light max light, but then you're either playing the game still for the rewards or for the enjoyment of playing it, or you're not. And that's why for me, light level has mattered less in Destiny 2 than in Destiny 1. Like I felt really concerned about light level, maybe from a vanity standpoint, but functionally because then it was relative in trials a little bit, you know, because there was a power incentive and advantage there. Um, and then for the raids, there was one as well too, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Light level, light level has not meant as much to me in destiny two as it has in destiny one. Yeah. I, I agree with CJ on this because for me, it's, it's been the same way because I almost feel like in destiny one, there was purpose behind grinding out for that light level. And the only way you can achieve that light level is if you played those pinnacle activities besides Iron Banner. And to me, in Destiny 1, Iron Banner almost felt like an event that allowed people to catch up to mm -hmm. everyone who were the hardcore players who did play the raids consistently on three characters and played trials every week on all three characters. But in Destiny 2, it felt like everything you do in the game gave you that powerful engram and it made it feel less special and just a number that you're chasing for no 
other reason than to be able to access some activity or to, I guess, in some ways not be as challenged. Like, for example, with the new content that we got with the Crown of Sorrow, if you're not 730, 725 light, you're going to be struggling yeah. quite a bit and you're going to be pretty squishy. Um, so I think there's a lot of work that can be done with that light leveling system to make it better and maybe more meaningful. And I think part of that could be right. not giving you powerful engrams for every little thing that you do in the game because it, it makes it feel less special. There was something special right. about playing through a raid in Destiny 1 where you were grinding out for both legendary shards, for radiant shards, and you were chasing after that helmet that gave you that max light level and i think they're starting to do that like like with the heroic mode for menagerie you're gonna have to get like uh you're not gonna be able to match make for this you're gonna have to get six people together just like you would for a raid and go to tackle this activity that's gonna start at 750 and the final encounter is gonna be 770 20 light over what you are yeah so so that's going to be kind of tricky, I'm sure, and everything. It's not going to be a walk in the park. There's, you're going to see some failures, I think, you know, for the first couple hours probably. And the fact that they're introducing difficulty settings back to things, I think, is a step in the right direction and might lead towards some of this, uh, some of this, um, you know, end game that they can, you know, bring back to, to the game. You know, like a whole another level of end game opens up when you hit max light, things like that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah. Those are the kind of things where yeah, we've talked about that too. Like, I loved playing, you know, uh, Taken King raid hard mode, and then just you know getting the different mm -hmm. weapons, getting the different skins, like, and you know, for the weapons it looked a little bit different. Um, and then yeah, just being able to have the ability to feel like the thing that you're doing, yeah, actually is beneficial to your light, like a pinnacle activity is the reason you are max light. And and I think they did do a good job of changing it with Rise of Iron and just creating, yeah, like Iron Banner and Trials to be able to drop powerful engrams and stuff as well too. But yeah, you're right. Just being able to get powerful engrams daily or wherever, it, the light climb does not feel as engaging as it did in Destiny 1. Right. And I and I, like I said, I think they're pivoting away from that. And it's going to be more like the... There's going to be more end game, I feel yeah. like, you know, and it's going to, you know, be hopefully with difficulty settings and things like that. And like even bring it to like, you know, how they had the story missions in D1 there. You could ch uh, select your difficulty setting. Yes, absolutely. Know, and things like that. You know, I, I think that's important to have in the game. Absolutely. And now with Destiny becoming more of a... MMORPG with, with Bungie embracing that aspect of the game. What would you like to see in a more RPG focused destiny? I'll let you go first, CJ. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of what they're doing right now is really good. Like I said, I always loved in disc strength and, you know, grinding out for different builds for whatever I was playing. Cause I was always typically, you know, when I was doing raids, I wanted to get my super really fast. And so I'd always have a build that, you know, would focus on in intellect, 
but then playing PVP, I would usually have, you know, strength and discipline builds for my hunter because I wanted to, you know, have my ability and grenades and all that other stuff more often because you generate your super so fast that it did seem relative to have a build that actually focused on intellect. So, um, yeah, if they had a bunch of those type of things in the game, as well as, you know, they have other ideas that revolve around the mod system and perks like that. I think that was one of those things where when they talked about what the mod system was going to be way back when, and when they were discussing masterworks and stuff like that, I still feel like there's lots that they could do with those systems. And so I think they're in a good place now. And if they just further upon what they're doing uh, and bring those in again with loot 2.0, being able to actually the way you, you know, customizing the way you look with your proper perk builds, it finally is, I'll be able to dismantle items <laughs> more often because I can now focus on what I want my character to look like and then just delete all the rest of it, exactly. not being worried about whether or not I can pick that item up again or not. Exactly. That that can fix a lot of vault issues yeah, and everything ab too. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, so it's, I've always liked what division did as far as like, you know, putting your builds together and things like that and putting scopes on weapons mm -hmm. and, you know, to do more DPS, like, you know, things like that, you know, it's like, I feel like destiny is finally getting heading in that direction and everything. Yep. So uh, that excites me. Yeah. I'm really excited about the level of customization that we're going to be getting this fall because i think that we're finally going to get that sweet spot that we've been wanting for the longest time but we've been very limited in how we can customize our characters because now we have strength intellect discipline that doesn't mean quite as much as it can and i think that with loot 2.0 with the new mod system i think that bungie is going to fix a lot of the things that will make the game better in the long run yeah absolutely because i think right now with with the the mod system and it's probably obviously going to affect some of the mods and stuff like that because you know we're now we have super mods and we have um you know ability mods and all the rest of that stuff so once in strength are back into the equation i don't know what will happen with those things i would imagine they're either going to remove them or tweak them in some capacity but um yeah i'm, I'm intrigued to see how they do it because I actually like the tier builds being attached to the armor versus being just mods that you throw in. Cause even that, um, you know, it just never, it never landed with me quite right. It just did not feel as engaging yeah, to chase. They, from the screenshot that they showed in that Vidoc, there are numbers. There are actually numbers on each of those bars yeah. and everything. So being able to see the numbers and everything and watch the numbers go up, that's going to, feel super rewarding and awesome again. Yeah, that, that was one of my biggest complaints. Even um, I've, I've referenced this multiple times. Uh, I always say, go back and watch Fireteam Chat episode 125. <laughs> um, I, I talk about how <laughs> I, I, I lamented the fact that I did not want random rolls to go away. And um, the stats and the numbers mm -hmm. on the armor felt validating to my mind as to what is actually right. happening in the game with my character. Like right now, I think the biggest challenge with, with anything you look in destiny is you want more information, but they're hiding the information. Like the information is there, you know, it's in the UI, you know, it's in the game, but you're getting a bar. Right. It's like, why do I have to go to dim to see the level of, you know, RPM or well, not RPM. Cause it's a bad one. Cause it actually says it for some of them. Um, 
but range and handling, why are these bars? Mm-hmm. Like, like, why don't they have a number value attached to that? And it was the same thing with my cooldown on my grenades and my super and all that stuff. When, how long right. does it take yeah. for me to generate my super? Where is that number? I just want to know what it is. And you can do the math, right. sure. We, but why? Exactly. I want we were, to know. We were relying what it on is. that number. You're right. <laughs> You're totally right. We relied on that number in T1. Yeah. We saw it. We saw how many seconds yeah. it was before we got our grenade back or how long it took our super. You know, when we hit that tier five, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be all cast our super in four minutes yes. without even killing anything. Yeah, like I, I don't know? want so. to have to use the Datto spreadsheet. That makes me look at this many super mods reduces my super to this amount of minutes. Give me that exactly. information in the game, in the, game, in the UI right. when I look at my character. So if we're back to that, exactly. then I'm I'm good. Exactly, and then that's what Luke Smith said. And then you know they said we're bringing the stats back to the game. We're bringing the stats back. You know we're bringing we're bringing it back. Yeah, and I'm I'm very excited about that, and I, I cannot wait to see what changes Bungie introduces into Destiny this fall with the Shadow Keep expansion. Standalone expansion, I should say, because you don't need to have prior expansions. Expand alone. To- Expand alone. Ah, there you go. That's a good one. I like it. I like that. <laughs> and of course, we also know that Google made some pretty big announcements too. In fact, yeah. we first learned about the Shadow Keep expansion on the Google stage. Yeah. They showed off the partnership that they are having with um, Bungie and Destiny. And it seems like they're going to be doing some pretty interesting things with Google Stadia, where the dream of being able to play Destiny on your tablet can now become more of a reality. Although we don't really know how exactly it's going to play out. Now, CJ, did you get a chance to play anything with Google Stadia during E3? I didn't. It killed me. I think they had uh, some of the demos available for some of our product people. And so here's how it works when you're a video guy at E3. You have a schedule pretty much from like 9 in the morning straight through to like 6 p.m. And there's like a window of 20 minutes between them for you to walk somewhere. And you guys have never been to E3, right? You know, I never. No. So the show floor is massive and there's probably about, you know, a couple miles between, not between booths, but where our war room was walking to the other stage where, you know, the show floor was where these booths are. So I think on an average day, I walked between like seven to eight miles or something like that. So, so yeah, when you're fat, yeah, when you're factoring in your next appointment, you have to factor in the walk time. So 90% of the free time quote, quote that I had was only on the last day. And at that point in time, I get a chance to see, uh, cyberpunk behind closed doors uh, and a couple other things that I wanted to see, but no, I did not get a chance. But for the people that I know who did like, it is going to be tech that I think is obviously situational dependent on the internet. So where you are, how fast your internet connection is where, you know, within the country, you know, obviously there's places that have much faster internet than other places, you know, but, but it's good because it's pushing the tech forward to do these type of things if you have the internet connection available. And then Microsoft also had their own thing called like, um, I think it's Project X Cloud, 
And, um, yep. Yeah. And even that was really cool too, because, uh, same thing. Then they were showing it with a controller and that's super cool as well too. I, I remember when this was out a little while ago, uh, a friend of mine had this, something similar to this, uh, in the office and I can't remember what it was, but you know, and, and, and so don't quote me on the Stadia or the project uh, X cloud thing, but you know, it is enough where your I think your brain will be able to feel the latency. Um, and will it be able to survive? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's probably not going to be the most optimum gaming experience possible, That's what, you know, but are you able that's to what play I'm worried it? About. Yes. <laughs> you, you probably would be able to play it and it would be functional. You would definitely not want to be competing at a high level or feel like this is the thing that, um, again, right now, like, I, but that's what I mean. Like if they're able to actually do this, that's what's super cool is that I think at some point in time, they will be able to maybe get to that point if they're super confident in announcing this kind of tech on a grand level that they have. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still think there's a lot that we don't understand about it. There's, you know, there's a pricing structure, lack yeah. of understanding. There's functionality. Like, do I need to buy something? Do I need to buy a controller? How does this attach to the device? Which devices can I use? So there's a lot of questions around it. I think, but um, if it's interesting, like it's cool yeah. tech. I think we need to see it in action, yeah. like first before I can like go and comment more on it. Like I really need to see a digital foundry breakdown. Yeah, on it. Yeah, and, and a lot of it you know? when you have these devices too, you want to assume that obviously it's not relying on you know the device as much for the you know for the interactive sort of connection between whatever's happening and what you're looking at. But some of those details will obviously come into play, right? Depending on the refresh rate of, you know, your phone and, you yeah. know, the pixel density and all that stuff. I so. mean, I, I, we've been spoiled by our PC. Like Destiny 2 runs amazing on PC. Yeah, absolutely. And everything, you know. Yeah, so. And especially if you have a good rig and everything, you know. It's just, yeah. it's it's crispy, it's nice, it's smooth. And, you know, so, I mean, but, but, having to play on Stadia, something that could, uh, you know, be super you know latency and lag could be introduced you know yeah. but might not be the optimal experience but, cool tech, but it, you know your results are going to be cool tech it's cool everything. that they're getting behind it from a tech standpoint because i think uh you know if you if you want to look at bungie's sort of involvement with you know designing things that lead mm -hmm. sort of technologies basically the microsoft 360 blade ui was largely influenced by halo 2's ui system um, you know, with party chat and party oh. up and all the rest of that stuff. So I miss the blades. Yeah. Blades are really good. Yeah. Blades <laughs> yeah. are awesome. Yeah. Now, one thing for me that kind of concerns me about Google Stadia is the fact that it's a totally new platform and destiny is such a interactive game that depends on other people being there to play it. So with the fact that Google Stadia will not be playable with PC player base and you can only play with other Stadia players, that kind of concerns me because it makes you wonder, like, when you start up the game on day one, are you going to have many people to play with or will there be only a handful of people who are playing the content? And with such segmentation, it's going to be harder to find people to play with. Definitely going to be the lowest platform, yeah. I'm sure, because it also isn't going to launch until November. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and and not only that, but like Destiny is a very interactive game that you're going to play with 
people who you play the games with, right? So if you're the only person who jumps on board with Stadia, you can't really play with your friends. And I know that Luke Smith did talk about them working on a resolution to this, but it doesn't sound like it's going to get fixed where you can play with PC and Stadia players together until probably sometime next year. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, we're we're getting a little spoiled here now because I, I never thought like three or four months ago or two or three weeks ago when they made that announcement that we'd be getting cross-save. Like, at this point in time, I kind of just was like, it was off my radar for Destiny 2. Pipe dream. Always wanted it. Same. Yeah. Didn't, didn't really expect it. At this point in time, I was like, okay, would be nice, but probably Destiny 3. But a lot of these announcements like I, yeah. Yeah, make me feel mm-hmm. optimistic and a little bit sure. more positive that obviously I would say that probably cross-play is, you know, probably being developed in the background. And if it is, hopefully they're able to make those things happen because, yeah, we're seeing it now with, you know, obviously like Rocket League brought it in early on and then Fortnite and, yeah, even some of the... Yeah, Dauntless. Yeah, Dauntless and, and some of the newer games. So... So, yeah, I mean, definitely mm-hmm. for this system, it makes a huge deal to have it be cross-play <laughs> because if the install numbers are really low, you're right. It's going to be challenging. Yeah, and just with it launching late, too. It's like how many people are going to leave the other platforms to go play Stadia? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, de- definitely <laughs> in the first year. I would say it's going to be more of a um, of uh, of a tech experiment that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. there'll be, there'll be a number of people who... We'll probably buy into it, but it'll be cash flow based. Um, <laughs> it'll be the extra if you can me, afford it, sort of thing. Let me just say this: there would be more people that would go play on the Switch, I think, than Stadia. <laughs> yeah. If Destiny oh, yeah. came to Switch, if Destiny came out on the Switch, I would buy it in a heartbeat. I would buy it in a that heartbeat be too. Same. That'd be amazing. Same. Same. Yeah, I would love yep. that. Yeah, portability. And with the talk of uh, you know a more powerful Switch you know, are, you know, in the works and everything, you know, it only makes sense and everything. So, yeah. Well, with Witcher, Witcher 3 coming, I was just going to say, yeah. Witcher yeah. coming to it, <laughs> like that was another one of those E3 things that was kind of out of left field. And you're like, all right. And, and now yeah. it feels like, okay, if that's possible, um, you know, so your right. brain does start, you know, it, it does. What I think I just said with the crossplay thing, your brain just goes, ah, whatever. It's not something I'm focused on. <laughs> now that which are the, oh well okay that I, that would be good let's do that let's have destiny on the switch that'd be amazing <laughs> you you didn't give me destiny on the uh, switch absolutely. yet that's what I want now yeah that's the one platform it's missing <laughs> yeah. that's where it's missing I'm gonna totally call it right now and I'm gonna say that within 12 months after Shadow Keep is out we will get crossplay boom because there it is once the Mic new drop. consoles come out there's going to be less of a limitation because now I'm pretty sure consoles are going to be able to run Destiny in 60 frames. So there's less of a disparity between players yeah. on PC and players on different consoles. Yeah. By that no point, excuses. Yeah. Like with the with the tech that they're like uh, touting and everything for these consoles, no ex- no excuses. Yeah. Anymore. Well, I mean, again, I think that you know some of it. Obviously, I mean, we got to remember that Activision. You know, was in partnership with Bungie, but also in partnership with Sony. And that deal there, obviously, mm-hmm. to have exclusives, which are now also gone away. So to have um, you yeah. know, console-type exclusives and stuff like that. Yeah, to me, all these things are just barriers that are 
I mean, they literally said this on our show, are barriers that they're removing that I think what capital R that's, that's reasons. right, from capital R, R reasons, <laughs> Mark knows really, um, that allow them to pursue those kind of things. Because again, uh, you can't have crossplay if ultimately there's a bunch of different elements in your game that do not align with the other systems. So, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully it's something right. that's going to be possible. Yeah, 12 months, like that'd be cool. If it's the thing, I was not thinking about it at all prior to a few weeks ago when they launched all this stuff. But now it's like, okay, it's a little glimmer of hope here that maybe crossplay before Destiny 2's lifespan is over, I think would be actually pretty cool. Yeah, I think Bungie mm-hmm. in the last three weeks, they crushed all of our expectations and they completely turned their future, I don't say upside down, but they, they completely turned everything around where now the things that we did not think would be ever possible now are not only possible, but they're happening. And we can see a destiny that's being built for everybody to play together. And that is such an exciting thing as a gamer to be able to experience destiny with everybody across all platforms. And that's a really exciting future to look forward to. And the other thing is we were kind of expecting an annual pass this fall. We weren't expecting to get a full-sized expansion. So for them to drop that, I think it was just great timing. And it's something that will really invigorate the game and bring a lot of people back. And I think Shadowkeep will be as significant as what Forsaken was to Destiny 2. I think Forsaken really did a lot of great things to the franchise that fixed so many things that were just missing from the vanilla destiny experience with destiny too. Yeah. I I think that coupled with basically new light and the ability to play free to play, it's almost like destiny two is launching over again. And, and I felt like first, and I actually said that to them when they were uh, there on our stage, forsaken was great. The biggest thing that hurt forsaken was the requirement of Warmind and Curse of Osiris. That was a mistake. They should not have done that. And for whatever reason, we'll never know why that was part of the requirement. It, It honestly, I think, probably killed the momentum of Forsaken righting so many wrongs that Destiny 2, quote, quote, sort of had going for it. Now, it's not that it was, you know, detrimental in, I think, the Destiny community for getting forsaken because most people you know had purchased war or did the annual pass on the launch of destiny 2 already but bringing new players in that really hurt forsaken i think that it was one of those things that had they been able to eliminate that barrier the way that they're going to do with shadow keep will you know i think it has the ability to, to oh, yeah, be yeah, much yeah. more approachable now that it's like hey just you mean play the having game. to purchase the content like to play Forsaken, right? Yeah, because you had to, to have, yeah, you had to have Warmind and Osiris. Yeah. And I remember when that was happening with Forsaken, mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, you know, this is you know, because I had so many friends who were waiting to get back into Destiny, and when they heard that you needed to buy Warmind and Forsaken uh Warmind and Osiris to get Forsaken, they were just like, nah. <laughs> they just did not want to do that. And so this eliminated. I think that was that an barrier. Activision thing. Like, I really do. Yeah. Because so many of this stuff, like, is now, it's gone. Now that Activision is yeah. gone, like, everything's going to be a la carte. Yeah. 
and everything. Yep. So, so I, I think that, yeah, I think that that will dr- yeah. dramatically increase shadow keeps, you know, player retention as well as engagement with new players and all the rest of that stuff. And hopefully they can build on that momentum and then, uh, yeah. And then it's actually a really good expansion. Like hopefully they, they knock it out of the park and there's no, you know, major glitches or anything that's a concern. So. Yeah, I think that barrier to entry is no longer there. And, and not only from a financial standpoint where you had to buy all this other content in order to even experience Forsaken or any of the annual pass, but the level of grind that you had to put into it. Like for you to play Forsaken, you had to have a lot of things completed beforehand. For example, yes. yeah. you have to have beaten Destiny Vanilla. You have to have beaten the Osiris campaign and Warmind. And that's a lot of content for you to have to grind in order to just be able to possibly play with your friends. And you won't even be able to play the raids. You'll only be able to play the new Forsaken content. So I think this change is very welcoming and it will allow for new players to experience the game who otherwise didn't have that opportunity. And it's there's no friction between starting to play destiny anymore because now with new light it's free you don't yeah. have to pay anything to experience so much of the game that i think was just really excellent and right. it's going to bring a lot of people into the destiny franchise and i think that's going to be a really exciting move to yeah. see how that and all how plays many out. people are going to go back and play that first mission again yeah like yeah i'm doing it how, like i think everybody yeah. is yeah. like everybody wants to be able to experience that Again, Absolutely. You know? I mean, th- this sort of goes along with the reason why I don't think light level will matter as much is because I think that with that new entry point, they're going to make everybody 750. Exactly. Like when yeah, you it, like get to shadow. Yeah, it, that's the thing. I think that if you think of like each time, if they end up doing this a la carte thing where, oh, the, you're only going to need to buy this new thing or you can play this thing separate from the other things. At that point in time, the only barrier mm-hmm. is light. And if that becomes a barrier that just doesn't make you want to do anything because you have to grind your way to it, ultimately, if you don't get to the highest light level at the end of the DLC, you're just going to wait for the next one because they're going to do some kind of bounty related thing or let you get up to the next power level easily. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think light is the only thing that I think could be tweaked or potentially eliminated or reworked in some way where it, it wouldn't affect me. It, it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much yeah, yeah but, and uh, you know even today i think light level isn't as much of a barrier as it was before because i mean there's so many different bounties you can play through whatever you enjoy playing in destiny you can play it yeah and it'll get you up to that light level eventually and um, plus we also have iron banner that gives you so many opportunities to get that high level powerful gear that will help you to level up to that max light level. And it's actually interesting because with the heroic version of the Menagerie, they're increasing the light level to 770. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Like, will the armor that we get in the Menagerie now be higher than the armor that we get in the raid with Crown of Sorrow? It'll be really yeah. interesting to see how they all tie that in not only with season of opulence, but this fall. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. pretty crazy yeah. to quote, uh, FTC, 
Destin Legary headline, Bungie might have just fixed everything with Shadowkeep. <laughs> oh my god. I was I was gonna mention that yes. earlier and everything, because I watched that and I was like, they're fixing everything. Uh, they so good. They fix everything. It was so good. I, I'm glad I'm glad him and Deej had a little moment there where <laughs> they uh there was light, light ribbing. It was good. Yeah. The the <laughs> only other thing that I would love to see is a vault space to be increased because you know what? I'm a hoarder. <laughs> I, I love to keep the items that I get in Destiny, and if I can just keep more of that stuff without having to worry about dismantling, I think it's gonna it's gonna be all the better. They said you can now, like dismantle all that crap that you you know don't, don't yeah. need that, uh, that stuff. All that all that stuff. stuff goes away. So right there, that's a good you know twenty percent or thirty percent of my vault that I can just dismantle and it goes into the. Uh, you know, into the armor system. So yeah, that, I mean, we, we've yeah. talked about this too on Fraction Chat a lot. That coupled with random rolls or a way to pull back a base weapon out of it that just gives you the ability to have it. Like, even if it's just a generic perk, you know, or a base stat perk mm-hmm. would be really nice because it would just eliminate, like the way exotics are, right? It's just, it is a comfort in knowing that if you sharded this legendary weapon, you could get it back if it's a rare weapon that you cannot find anymore in destiny two. And that mostly applies to forsaken now. Cause for, you know, you can do that with a lot of the armor in year one and the weapons in year one, but yeah, the random roll stuff, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's trickier. I, I, uh, I wish there was a way to do that. It's one of the only little things they, yeah. they haven't quite mastered yet. And now that we, yeah. now that we know what's coming this fall, we got to see the trailers and the, docs what are you guys most ex- most excited about from what we heard during e3 and during the reveal of the new content by Bungie Eris Morn coming back and the moon coming back yeah yeah I was gonna say the same you thing know. I'm excited to just go back and like, explore I, the moon again yeah I really miss Eris as a character I thought her character was really awesome in D1 and just not having her around through all of D2 until now and everything, you know, it's just, it's awesome to welcome her back to the universe and everything to under see what she's been doing this whole time. And everything. Yeah. So I, I'm, this is, you this know, is right? what I was alluding to. And um, Scott and Deej were on our show last week is that I said to Scott, you know, Eris and Cade were pretty much the tag team that, quote quote save destiny one they were the um the yeah. you know the the taking king stars the taking king. yeah and so mm-hmm. for me to have her come back into the mix if there's no reflection of Cade's absence or anything like that that's gonna feel really really weird and so that's what i what i was getting at when i uh <laughs> when scott was calling me out there yeah. was like you don't want me to tell you but um but I, but i think that and i hope that these nightmares potentially, you know, have some sort of story element where, you know, we don't know how it's going to play out, but maybe there's some of what Eris has been doing the last, you know, how many years. Or yeah. How, I think there'll time. be some backstory. Yeah. Since like that, the, the taking sure. war, right. So, or the red war. So those are things that, um, yeah, I, I hope they touch on cause we don't know what Aldrin's up to either right now. So there's a combination of, you know, that storyline post right, Forsaken yeah. between Cade, Aldrin, and Eris. I think that those are characters, obviously, that, um, you know, are, are, are kind of needing a little bit of, uh, 
screen time to explain, you know, how they're feeling since this has all transpired. And I like what one of the devs said. It was either Mark Noseworthy or Luke Smith or one of them. That they said that they can take the seasons and they have the opportunity to tell these stories and everything, you know. And it's like because there is so many threads going on yeah. right now in 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 the story of Destiny Two. There, there's so many threads yeah. happening. You know what's going on with Aldrin? What's going on with Marasov? The Dreaming City? When is that going to get wrapped up? What's going on with Savathun? You know, now we got Eris Morn back in the picture. Is she going to be tied to Savathun? What's going on with the pyramid, pyramid ships? ships. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. That's the one that everybody keeps on asking about. I saw that question a number of times. Ask about the pyramid ships. Just ask. It's like, yeah. they're not going to tell us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see how the Destiny story unfolds with the fall expansion and going into the season passes that we'll be getting after the fall expansion because Bungie came out and said there are more stories to tell in Destiny 2. They're not done with it. The Stranger. The Stranger. Like, yeah. I feel like some sort of way the the Black Garden Raid might be tied to The Stranger, possibly. Yeah, yeah Elsie like Bray, too. yeah. And, and Siva. Like, where did Siva... Is Siva still around? Like, is, you know, too? So, I mean, it's like, yeah... It's there's a lot of things still happening. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm so universe. excited to go back to the moon and to uh, get to fight alongside with Eris Morn. And I agree with you guys. Eris is one of the most powerful characters in the game, and now arguably the most powerful character in terms of her personality and her strength. I think that there's so many amazing things that they can do with with Eris Morn and her character is so connected I'm to sure so many she's players. Gonna, I'm sure she's going to quote Tolan a few times too, probably. Yeah. In the DLC. Yeah. Absolutely. And we also know that there's going to be some big changes coming with the new expansion in Destiny that uh, some will say these are epic changes coming to Destiny where the game is moving to Steam. And uh, that's really interesting to see how that all plays out because we still don't fully know, right? Like, are we going to have to change our gamer tags and add all of our friends again yeah. on Steam? Probably, right? Yeah. These are a lot of different things that we still don't know. But do you guys think that it was the right move to go to Steam instead of maybe going to Epic Game Store? I do. I think there's there's more systems in Steam. There's more... Uh, I think there's more anti-cheats, I think, in Steam and everything, too. It's well, it's a pretty established platform yeah. and everything, and huge user base Yeah, and Steam. Yeah. I, I, like, humongous. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think it's one of those things where... I'm glad he pulled a little fake out there, uh, an epic, an yeah. epic partner. But the, um, yeah, I think that would have been seen as like another uh oh if they had of, you know, put it on the Epic Store versus Steam. Like just right now with everything that's going on in the in the space, it, I just feel like it would have been like okay, no Activision. Okay, now Epic, and <laughs> and not that it's bad, <laughs> but I just think that. You know, I think Bungie needs a little bit of positive PR here, hopefully for the next uh, (laughs) 
three to four months prior to Shadow Keep launching. So I feel like that was the right move. Although I'm sure there's a lot of technical sort of mechanical details that will transpire over the next you know few months. Hopefully they're smooth though. I yeah, I think they will be. I mean, they're going to tell us all those things as the summer progresses. How we're going to be able to migrate our character over to Steam, migrate our account, yeah. and everything like that. Are you guys so. taking your uh, PlayStation account or your PC account over? Oh, PC. It's going to have yeah. to be PC because I have everything it's on PC, PC all the way. I know. This is a problem, though. Yeah. Is I, I just I look back and I have the fact that when you log on to Destiny 2 on your PlayStation, though, and it has all those raid callback moments and memories, and it's like, uh, I hope that they don't, you know, I wish there was a way to incorporate those into your PC account and then you know, then have your PC account yeah. talk to destiny one, or if there's, if there's any destiny three on the horizon, that's my only concern. But uh, I mean, I wouldn't be yeah, too that whole mer- merging thing would have took care of it, but it sounds like they are able yeah. to do that. Right yeah. Now. I mean, even if it's just them merging the triumphs that you've completed on console in destiny one, I think that would be sufficient enough to preserve that history of you as a guardian because i don't want to lose everything i've done from the very beginning yeah it, it, it's these are memories that as a guardian you cherish and you these are really special moments for you so for me to lose that by switching to pc that's a lot for me to lose but at the same time as a player i've invested so much time on pc that it would be impossible for me to con- to to regrind everything that I've achieved. Yeah. In the last two years playing Destiny on PC. Yep. And and I'm I'm sentimental and nostalgic, and so everything you just said, I totally relate to you on. Then the other little person that's sitting on my shoulder is going, "Oh, really? What did you get out of it? <laughs> what <laughs> besides yeah. the intro cutscene? What did you really get?" So <laughs> my brain is right. nervous that in Destiny 3 there would be something, but it really, I, I know this, like, I think there's some call outs, like they, rather than calling you Young Wolf, they, the, like Shaxx and, and other people within the campaign, they say something different. I can't exactly remember now, but there, there's little nuances. They remember what, what yeah, yeah, there's little nuances to the dialogue and stuff like that, but those were not call you high vein and yeah. things like that you know yeah. those were not and, enough to right. like you know keep you motivated to the reward was not big enough for the people who were invested into destiny one all the hours they put when you carried over to destiny two it was a cool intro moment i like i love that when you fired up the game the first time and you yeah. saw that it's super cool but that was a fuzzy moment that lasted <laughs> two minutes and then carried right. on Right, and it, it's just like Corn said; it's not worth regrind, regrinding. Yeah, all that. absolutely. It's, just, it's, it's yeah. too much. So, I'm in the same boat. You, know, you guys and, and are. Yeah, I'm probably going to take my PC character over as well. And that's what Cross Save is fixing. You know, the fact that we won't have to regrind. Yes. And everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you know the other interesting thing is how will they address the whole clan system? Because that too, as of right now, you can have three characters and you can be in three separate clans, like the IGN clan. Then you gotta pick one. Has a Xbox, pick one. PC, and PlayStation clan. How will clans be affected now that? Yeah, it's a good you question. You can only pick one. Are are we gonna have a more uh, number of users that you can have within a specific? Maybe they'll clan? increase. 
the number. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. If that, if I that would certainly that. hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they give us some more insight on some of these things in during the summer, and I I'm pretty sure we're gonna get some some more information on that and some more clarity in the weeks to come as they figure out how these mechanics will function and how the progression will switch from one platform to another. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. And the other thing that I'm really curious about is what happens with Destiny 3 because we know that Bungie's not working on Destiny 3. It's not something they're developing. It's not something they are even thinking about right now so it makes you wonder how will the next two three years look like in the destiny franchise will they maybe determine where they go next based on how the next 12 months will transpire or will the two fall off of destiny too and will it just become destiny yeah like you know yeah i mean we had these like yeah, we've had yeah. these conversations a lot, and I think that I think the exact language that they're using is our primary focus is on Destiny 2 right now. I mean, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that Destiny 3 is not being worked on or that there's not potentially maybe some conversations or something going on in the background, but definitely I would say that, um, yeah, there's probably is a discussion of, you know, because this was something else that they talked about when they uh, we did the vision piece for them for Destiny 2. It's like, know what warrants putting a new number on the box their primary reasoning at Mm -hmm. first was you know to build the audience base like it was hard i think for people to get into destiny one again years into the franchise because of just all that had passed in destiny like if you weren't there from the beginning hard to catch up um i think some of what they're not only that file size yeah absolutely destiny one became a huge game yeah. over the four like uh, DLCs and things like that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and I think so I think Destiny Two ultimately, you know, would, would suffer from the same thing. You know, maybe within the context of the future and PC and everything that's happening now, expanding a game, you know, into these next generation of consoles might be easier overall because they might maybe sort of have more of a PC like interface with them versus the way that consoles have done things in the past, but. Um, yeah, right. it'd be interesting. I mean, we know that PlayStation 5 is on the horizon, and obviously Xbox as well, too, You know, their next system. So hopefully some of these things will be baked into yeah, what allows games to be done a little bit differently than yeah. they have been in the previous generations. And I'm guessing that's one of the biggest reasons why it's not on Switch right now, file size. You know, And it's like the game cards for Switch are only go up to 32 gigabytes right now because The Witcher 3 is going on a 32 gigabyte card, and apparently it's going to be future feature complete. And everything yeah but the whole game and all the dlc yeah um and and i don't know about yeah. you guys but i think that nintendo switch would have a really tough time delivering a online game in the way that destiny needs to be delivered i think the online is not there yet with nintendo yeah with their switch online and they're gonna have to make some no yeah definitely needs infrastructure because i mean Sure. I was trying to play Smash Brothers and we couldn't really play it online. It was almost unplayable. Yeah. yeah. You know, unless it you're was. playing with local co-op. Yeah, I think it's one of those things with anything that has a right. persistent online 
sort of requirement, it, um, yeah, just in a Wi-Fi world, which, I mean, let's face it, if you're playing the Switch portably, you know, there's a lot of variables in that equation when you're, you know, moving from place to place, uh, assuming that, I mean, obviously Destiny, you know, you can have PlayStation, Xbox connected wirelessly, but they're plugged into a wall. There's a lot of stuff going on when, with the Switch when you're moving around in an environment. We could have a whole nother discussion about that, I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. So. so I know we're going quite over our uh, time window here. So I, I want to briefly discuss the Bungie Weekly Update um, and go over some of the things that we did learn from this week's update. It did actually come out earlier than expected by a couple hours. Um, so that was really nice to see. And we did learn that the Guardian Con charity stream is now live. Um, and in that stream, we did see a couple of new weapons that will be coming with the new Shadow Keep expansion. CJ, did you see the new weapons that they showed off? I didn't. I was actually in the process of uh, uh, getting ready to talk with you guys and i was in a bunch of meetings and i was kind of <laughs> i was watching twitch and trying to, to follow it while i was in other meetings and i saw that they were doing very well i think that from a view goal standpoint they did get over 350k um there so yeah they got to four hundred thousand in four hours yeah they hit the goal. that's awesome so that that's fantastic so mm -hmm. kudos to them but no i didn't get a chance to actually see any of the new little weapons or anything they were showcasing there's some really interesting stuff that uh, we got to see, and I'm, I'm curious if these are going to be raid weapons or just weapons that we acquire through just regular gameplay. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, how that all plays out. Shadow Price, did you get a chance to see those new weapons that they showed off? Uh, I saw the one. I didn't see both of them. Okay. Yeah, it looks like um, there's a... I want to say fusion rifle and a machine gun. That was the other weapon, and they look really interesting. I think. Yeah, the yeah, it's it's interesting how the ornamentation is on it and everything. Uh, how it looks, it it looks more. I don't know, more detailed, I guess, for, uh, than some of the weapons already in the game and everything. Um. I'm wondering if it's going to have some of these weapons going to have that level of detail that you know you you'll be able to see visibly yeah more and, than what the weapons we have now and I'm I'm so excited for those finishing moves like fatalities <laughs> and destiny him. come on <laughs> that's so awesome uh, I, I'm so excited for I, that. I jokingly said that and Deej cringed when I said it uh, he's like please <laughs> this is very much not an M rated game I was like oh finishing moves. Um, but then I was actually trying to inquire, you know, how you perform them or if they were going to be something that was attached to your D-pad, like an emote or, you know, how it equips or if there's going to be a UI for it. And they very much. Yeah, they like, said combat emote. Exactly. Yeah. He said the word combat emote, which led me to believe that something like that may occur or there's a way maybe to map it to something. But it was really, it was really mm, yeah. odd that he used that word "emote" in it because it gave to me a connotation of potentially choosable or selectable within the context of what you're doing at the time and in the moment. 
But, um, you know, is right. it for flair? Does it have damaged? Is it, you know, outputting more damage than a regular melee? If it does, you know, does it, does the enemy have to be at like a certain health maybe in order to perform it or something like that? A lot of questions that we had even mm-hmm. before the show that I kind of asked and I'm like, well, why don't you ask us on the show? And I was like, all right. And then I was like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> more <laughs> soon next month. Yeah. Yeah, but we're not it, talking about that right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but that's one of those things. Again, you know, we uh, I, I said this on the last fire team chat, but uh, yeah, they were really great. I was like, oh yeah, can we ask you about this, 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 and like, yeah, sure. I mean, we can't probably talk about that or that or that. And I was like, oh okay, well let's not ask that. Not because we don't want to <laughs> ask. Like I looked at, I read a lot of the fire team chat comments, and I saw everybody saying, oh, ask them about shared spaces or ask them about yeah the pyramid ships. Ask about this, that, and everything, and you know that. You know, I, they wouldn't even answer my own theory. So they're going to be talking about these things, I think. Um, but they did say that Gamescom, actually. I think um, they're going to have, uh, if not um, a presence at Gamescom, it sounds like there's going to be something happening in and around there uh, that they'll probably have way more yeah, information yeah, to, to start revealing because it's basically a couple weeks before the launch. I think we'll get some looks at the UI and everything, and we'll get some looks at, you know, some of the um, economy changes and things like that. that. Yeah. And, and hopefully, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're going to have a booth there or not, but it'd be great if they did to have uh, some hands on as well. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I really hope we get another live stream where they just show us an entire like presentation about what's changing with um, shadow keep. And they, they used to do that with uh, like the taken King and rise of iron where they would have like this, hour-long thing where they really showed off exactly what they're going to be doing for like three weeks right we we got multiple weeks of of them displaying all the different changes that are coming so i really hope they do that this time around as well i mean that was before two tokens in yeah. blue though so uh <laughs> that that honestly <laughs> i think was some of the reasoning that killed it yeah for a while. that, that put right. it on hiatus yeah. there and then there was something a little mm-hmm. bit too I, I actually have had this conversation i feel like i even asked lars that um on one of the episodes we did last time where they just kind of said there's something to be said about you guys experiencing those things rather than us telling you it like you playing it organically and finding it out and figuring out how it works than us holding basically like quote quote a stream seminar showing you all the details and that's fair i i kind of appreciate that yeah i i think there might be an overview but they're not going to go into detail i think they want a lot of i mean because i'm sure that you know with bringing the rpg elements back into destiny they also want people to like rediscover and experience that. Yeah, and I mean, I would really hate for them to show us like how to play the raid before the raid's even out, or to show us any storyline content that would spoil any aspects of the game. Yeah. But I do think the game is changing in a drastic enough way where they can talk about some of the you know UI changes that are coming to Destiny, or the way that the weapon systems will work so I, I think there's a lot they can talk about during a live stream or a series of live streams where we can learn about how the game will change but without actually spoiling anything that will be playing in the game but just kind of introducing us to this new destiny with what is new light what will it have for 
returning players and and so many different questions like that or even addressing things like how to transition from Battle.net to Steam and how to make that transition a smooth one. So I think there's a lot they can still talk about that we haven't quite learned about yet. Yeah, and I, I think they will do that. I, I mean, before uh, Forsaken launched, uh, they had what I affectionately referred to as the three taps are back um, stream. And, and they, <laughs> they did that basically talking about, you know, meta changes to the game um, you know, as well as shotguns, uh, I think famously it was Josh Hamrick. It's like, why not equip three shotguns? And it was one of those things where they had those, yeah, yeah they had those conversations where, you know, once they announced that in the Vidoc, everybody was like, what are you talking about? And then they went through all that stuff later on, on a couple streams. So that was really good. And then also I, I liked it when they were adjusting the meta and tweaking it where they added, um, a couple other development videos that said like preview build, whatever, you know, version it was. And they just basically had the clip inside the, uh, weekly update. <laughs> Sorry. What was it called again? This week at Bungie. Uh, they basically have it layered in there for you to actually see, okay, these are some of the changes and this is what they actually look like in game as it stands right now. And that was cool. They didn't do that that often, but they did that once they changed, I think, um, the power economy to the special economy and all the rest of that stuff. They had a few development clips in there, which I thought were really cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see how the game develops as we move into the summer and beyond. And we also learned the menagerie heroic mode will be coming on June 25th. There will be a power level increase from 750 to 770. And we also know that matchmaking will no longer exist with the heroic version of the Menagerie. And in addition to that, they did mention that... Um, where is it? You can fail the activity. That Extinguish modifier will be on. And... If you do not complete a specific encounter within the Menagerie, you will now be returned to orbit as a team. So it's going to feel much like what a Nightfall felt like in Destiny mm, 1, where right. if you didn't beat it, going back to orbit. Sorry. D1 Nightfall. Uh, so three people going back to orbit. Six people. Six people yeah, exactly. going back to, or, back to orbit. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing that I really... Uh, thought was really interesting about this update they also mentioned heroic specific triumphs rewards and challenges that's pretty cool and it yeah. makes me wonder what will they do with the rewards that you get with the heroic version of the menagerie will you get new guns or perhaps you'll get the same guns but with the new set of perks that Adapt. you can acquire yeah, an adept version of, of those weapons. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they adapt the uh, reward system with the heroic version of the Menagerie. Yeah, like this, this is basically what we were talking yeah. about earlier with Taken King, where, yeah, hard mode of the raid provided different gear, different weapons, different stats that looked different. They were visually, aesthetically different. And then they had stats that were, yeah, adept. So they had, like, you know, bonus on uh, reload and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. Now, do you guys think we're going to see any new exotics maybe with the heroic mode or any new weapons that we haven't yet seen? 
Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. New exotics. I think that. Um, I think if they're going to introduce new exotics and they're going to, you know, because right now they're even talking about you know Lumina and Truth, like in in showing you the quests in there. I think if there was any kind of new exotics, it would be potentially buried away in something like an activity that people don't know about, like the way that Zero Hour launched or Whisper launched. I think that is the way to showcase new exotics. Right, right. I'm not saying they couldn't do it, but mm-hmm. I just think there's enough really good weapons from the Menagerie in and of itself that, you know, it'll be about grinding out those perks coupled with the power level or the increase to, you know, the perks that you want to get with the, you know, with the proper gear that you're looking for. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree on that. Yeah. If anything, maybe the armor could could look different, possibly. Yeah. Because ultimately, like, like the issue is when you get yeah. an exotic, right? You just get the exotic once. Like, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but right now, do you guys have thousand K voices? Yeah. yeah. See, I still don't have that. And I haven't completed the raid a ton of times. I know a bunch of people who've done it like 20, 30, 40, 50 and do not have that exotic. And that's the reason why they're playing the raid. And I think that, that there's a level of frustration oh. there when you have an exotic yeah. just chance dropping attached to an activity like this. Yeah, because who knows how long it's going to take for me to get the Terabah from the new <laughs> yeah. Crown of Sorrow. So, yeah, I, I, hear, I hear you about that. Yeah, these are all interesting questions that we will learn about very soon, June 25th. Uh, where uh, next away. week, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, the other thing that uh, was mentioned in the weekly update was Pride Month. Uh, Bungie celebrates the LGB community, and they have a Pride pin that's available for sale with all proceeds going directly to the Get It Better uh, to the It Gets Better project, which is a nonprofit organization with a mission to uplift, empower, and connect the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer youths around the globe. And uh, Bungie will also be marching in the Seattle Pride Parade, and they are also sponsoring the event. So um, it's great to see that they're doing more to include people of all types and uh i know there's a pretty diverse group that works at bungie as well and uh they're doing some really cool things with that so if you do want to support the cause there are pins that are available for sale that support a really great cause yeah the pin looks really cool too yeah nice i really like that uh, bungie does these type of um things for for different causes and not only for pride month but uh for uh what was it hurricane uh i keep forgetting it was uh it was the one in texas harvey Harvey, they did something for harvey um they did something else for uh the relief yes stuff yeah yeah Yeah, they they were really good at that kind of stuff absolutely yeah, so definitely check that out in the weekly update. And uh, finally, they talked about some frequently asked question updates. And they answered uh, two things that were really interesting that we didn't quite know as much about. 
And the question was, can players merge different characters, items, or triumphs from different accounts? The answer is, cross-save does not feature any form of account, character, or progress merging. Selecting a set of characters for cross-save does not delete or alter the data of any other character sets. Other character sets will be inaccessible for use as long as cross-save is active. So it sounds like you can enable or disable the cross-save feature and still be able to access those old accounts from what they are saying in this uh, paragraph. Right, because, I mean, it's on their database. You know, It's not going to be erased or anything like that. So maybe it's something that they'll be able to merge down the road, but unfortunately they won't have it ready for Shadowkeep. That's a really good point, yeah. That, that would be interesting uh, to see how that all plays out. And then the other question that they answered on um, the question was, will Stadia feature crossplay with Steam or other platforms? The answer was, crossplay will not be available for any platforms in 2019. We are investigating this feature for Destiny 2, but have no official announcements to make it this time. And a question, what, oh, go ahead. I don't know about you guys, but I feel that them saying that it won't be available for any platform in 2019 kind of insinuates that it's, it's going to be a yeah. thing that's available in 2020. Oh, for sure. I mean, even on stream, somebody asked the question, like when they did the charity stream today about uh, crossplay, you know, and, and Luke Smith had a, like a cheeky remark to it. And everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually asked it to, so. to Deej as well too about uh, it, and he is uh, like, "Well, Mark Knowsworthy's back at the office. It's a question that uh, has been commonly asked, and he 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 alluded to the fact that it's not something that they're announcing, but they are investigating. To me, the word investigating is an interesting choice word there, where mm -hmm. it's like, you know." Who knows? Very. Yeah, who knows what's going on behind the scenes? But they literally announced crossplay, you know, out of the blue. It felt like so now that and that, I think that's how I phrased the question when I asked it. I said, "Okay, cool. We have crossplay. Thank you. Uh, we have cross save. Thank you, crossplay." <laughs> and I mean, I, I think uh, <laughs> I think they understand that that's how kind of the community works. And so, you know, now that you you get a little taste of what this might be. You know, it's uh, it's probably not too far along. Hopefully, it's a possibility in the future. Yeah, I think it will be. Like, this is definitely going to be the way forward. I feel like with how gaming has uh, gone, with especially with the new consoles coming out next year, and Sony going to have to play well with others. Yeah. If you know, if they don't like, I'm telling you, it's not going it, to. They won't just like. They're not going to breeze by and win the generation. Everything if they just block cross. So, so it's so it's so. weird as you say this. Yeah, and I've been reading a bunch of different things about Sony and Microsoft, and then Google and Microsoft. What's weird is that Microsoft is in a similar problem though with Google because ultimately they have competing platforms mm -hmm. there. So it's it's funny how this has all come around full circle because ultimately Microsoft kind of started this trend with exclusives and stuff like that for Call of Duty and Time Window exclusives on you know, certain games and everything right. for, for the, the Xbox 360. 360 yeah. Like that was right. huge in their, you know, Activision relationship. 
um, it wouldn't. But the problem is, that Sony took it to the next level. Well, you know, because obviously, yeah, like they were, they understood how that worked. You know, all those years, and once yeah. they get a massive install base, they're like, all right, we remember, remember two thousand eight. Uh, let's uh, let's see how yeah. how you like this. And I mean, you know, and that's what was crazy. Like I switched over. I was a hardcore Xbox player. I never owned a Sony console until we uh, yeah, until PlayStation Three. Actually, I ended up buying a PlayStation Two late in the cycle. And PlayStation One, I would always have my borrow from my friends. So I played lots of PlayStation One and Two games. But prior to that, I was all Xbox, Xbox, like the the OG right. Xbox, Xbox Three Sixty, Xbox One. And then I bought a PlayStation 4 when Destiny came out. I got the white bundled PlayStation 4 on Destiny launch. And that was the time mm. when I went from being a kind of Microsoft-only guy to Sony, and then everybody else in the industry did as well. Like, Destiny was a major changing shift in that console cycle and war, as was Activision's other big IP, Call of Duty. Like, Call of Duty became an Activision sort of not necessarily PlayStation exclusive, but had yeah. exclusive content on PlayStation. A, it was crazy when that that's happened. That's a really good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. People weren't flocking to play Uncharted and to play all these like Sony exclusives. Like, some people were, but most of the people, like you said, they were playing Destiny and playing Call yeah. of Duty. That's why they came to Absolutely. PlayStation. Absolutely. Those are, those are some of the biggest selling games still. And the PlayStation 4's install base bolstered that, you know, that, sort of PlayStation mm -hmm. sort of muscle to do that. And it was just crazy how fast this generation right. got out of control and how fast Xbox lost because at the end of the 360 and PlayStation 3, PlayStation 3 did end up coming back and ultimately being ahead of the 360, I think, for units sold. But at that point in time... They had to do so many price cuts, absolutely. though. Like, they lost money. They had absolutely. to. Absolutely. But it's one of those know. things where the console war yeah. for the 360 and PlayStation 3 generation was already over. Like... By the time it ended, yeah. 360 was ahead and PlayStation caught up, but nobody cared about that because they moved on to next gen. But like PlayStation exactly. 4 destroyed Xbox One on a combination of just no, you're right, it you know, did. Xbox yeah. One Connect and all the other business that they had focused on. The and Don Matrick fumble out yeah, of the gate, exactly. The fumble well, out of the gate by Don well, Matrick. Entertainment push there. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how yeah. this whole PlayStation Five. You know, it seems like typically whoever launches first gets an early lead, but it is not what happened in PlayStation's versus Xbox One's case. Yeah. And let's also not forget that during the Xbox 360 and PS3 era, Nintendo wasn't really there, you know. And now, today, we're living in a world where Nintendo is very serious about their platform, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the next iteration of the Nintendo Switch and what it's going to be capable of doing yeah, and how it will allow for us to further realize a future where we can play portable games on the go, portable console quality games yeah. on the go. So that's going to be really interesting to see how does Sony and Xbox compete with Nintendo and will Nintendo be able to bring something to the table that can be competitive against the PlayStation 5 and the next version of uh, Xbox uh, which I think it's called Scarlet uh, yeah. right now yeah yeah I think Nintendo does what Nintendo does best like it's you know blue ocean strategy it's one of those things where 
they always end up doing something different where, you know, they realize that selling megahertz and hard drive space and all the rest of that stuff is just not their MO. Like they have a solid roster of, you know, legacy IPs that everybody flocks to and they need right. to just be innovative and creative and change the game in, in the space. And they do that so well. I mean, that that's what the, the Wii was. The Wii basically was yeah. promoted to, you know, kids and families and parents and the elderly. And, you know, it was much of like a fitness social activity device as much of it was like a hardcore gaming machine. And that worked like the Wii is crazy that, that console sold as many units as it yeah, did. Yeah, we can, we can have a whole other podcast about this, too. It's like, because Nintendo did eventually, at one point, they were about the power because the GameCube was more powerful than the PS2 yeah. and everything. But again, but you the know, GameCube, again, that, that didn't matter, right? Like, and that's what I mean. Like, once they realized right. that, you know, focusing on hardware and specs and, you know, what does it have a DVD right. drive or ROM? Like, that is not, you know, and, and again, I think... The fact that it didn't have a DVD and the PlayStation 2 did, and that's why that thing just like yeah. skyrocketed. Yeah. The fact that they had the DVD incorporated in, whereas uh, GameCube was using mini discs yeah. and More everything, less, you know. Yeah. So that that was a fumble. It's like, yeah, we have the power, but guess what? We don't have the space. Same problem we had with the Nintendo 64. We've got the power, but oh, we we just kind of left. Um, uh, storage out of, out of the, yeah. the and, drive. And the, and the Wii U was so. basically, you know, is basically what the Switch should have been. The, the Wii U was just the Switch. <laughs> it was just a Switch tethered to a device that yeah. wasn't portable. It was, I remember when they first showcased the Switch, um, or when they first showcased the Wii U, nobody realized it actually had a console attached to it. Everybody only focused on the touchpad controller that was, you know, a little bit odd. And and, <laughs> and that's what was so confusing yeah. to everybody because it, it looked exactly, the Wii U looked exactly like the Wii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, they called like, it the Wii U. <laughs> they, they, so it yeah. seemed like it was an accessory or a peripheral add-on. So that whole strategy, like that again, at, for, for, as, for as great as Nintendo is at certain things, yeah, they, they learn from missteps, pivot, and then they usually do a pretty good job. If not on the first iteration, the second one. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Nintendo is best known not so much for their hardware innovations, although we can argue that fact too. But they're really known for their content, for the games, for their absolutely first-party titles like Mario, Zelda, Splatoon, Star Smash, Fox. Yeah. Mario and Kart. now Astral Chain. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like Astro Chain is coming yeah. to play now and, and everything. That's and I don't know about Nintendo you guys, but I'm so excited to play the next gen Pokemon game, too, because I grew up on Pokemon. I remember Pokemon Red and Blue. <laughs> I played that in junior high school with my teachers and we traded Pokemon and all that good stuff. So it's it was so special for me to go back and replay Pokemon Let's Go. And I'm so excited for the future game that will be coming out later this year uh with uh the next pokemon game i think it's called pokemon sword and pokemon shield if i'm not mistaken yeah i, I missed a lot of the pokemon stuff but i i watched it happen and then my kids obviously love them and so yeah even with like pokemon go i, I remember yeah. just covering that phenomenon for what it was and that was crazy it was just another you know couple months of insanity around the planet <laughs> 
as, yeah. pe as people mm -hmm. were glued to their phones uh, capturing uh, Pokemon. It was crazy. How did we get from Destiny to Pokemon? I don't know. This, 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 this turned into a Nintendo deep dive very quickly near the end. Welcome to the Nintendo Voice <laughs> exactly, Chat Square. yeah. I've always wanted to be on NBC. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's there's so much exciting stuff going on in the gaming space, and it's such an exciting time to be a a video game fan and to be a gamer and to be a Destiny fan. And uh, we do have a tradition on the show where we rate this uh, weekly update in the form of spicy tuna rolls. Mm. And to keep to that tradition, we're gonna give a score for this week's Bungie Weekly Update, or TWAB, between 1 and 5, 1 being really rotten spicy tuna roll, and 5 being the most bomb spicy tuna rolls you can ever have. Oh, okay. So it's not a 1 out of 10 scale here. It's it's 1 out of 5. Gotcha. 1 out of 5. All right. That's good to know. I was about to give something an 8, which would have been off the charts. <laughs> so in that... How would you guys rate this week's Bungie Weekly Update? I'm gonna let CJ go first because he's locked in. All loaded. right, so I, I, need, I need I need some context though. Like, am I grading it on its own merits or in comparison? Because you have to remember, two or three weeks ago was a pretty crazy week. I don't know if I my brain is factoring that into the equation. This is like this is a two. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if the Shadow Keep launch two or three weeks ago was a five, which I would say that everybody else would probably agree with, this is this is like okay, this is cool. There's there, there's some goodness in there. The the heroic update is kind of neat, but not you know it, it's it's, it's nothing that exactly. PSA, it's a basically. PSA. There's nothing that this did yeah. for me that i care about anywhere remotely for what they did two or three weeks ago so for me this is like uh well you know what? i don't want to give it a failing grade i give it a 2.5 2.5 can we do 0.5s can we have right. half and, of the um, spicy roll yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna be right around that area too i'm gonna give it a three because i think you know decent information here but you know just like cj said it, it can't compare it to what we got like a week and a half a week ago two weeks ago you know so yeah, three. Yeah, I'm still digesting the tuna roll from a couple couple weeks back. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna actually um, also give the weekly update a three out of five spicy tuna rolls, and the reason why is because I like what they're doing with the Guardian Con charity stuff. I like the fact that we're getting a heroic version of the menagerie, although I almost feel like I'm not quite ready for it because I still have to grind out the regular version of the menagerie and get some of the other stuff that I haven't yet gotten from it, like the uh, hand cannon. And um, it's really nice what they're doing with Pride Month and supporting the uh, diverse communities out there. So I think those are really nice updates. Uh, for the frequently asked questions, I almost wish that they gave us a little bit of a better answer to the uh, cross-save issues that are actually coming to light now that we're learning a little bit more about how that will work. Um, so I was I would say three out of five spicy tuna rolls. Can't really compete with the updates that we got in the last few weeks. 
but uh, it was decent enough to not get a failing grade of like one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm I'm the yeah. harsh guy on the podcast. I never would have thought this would have ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys you guys have seen Fireteam chat, right? Yeah, okay. The tables have turned, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So we've been called bungee apologists. Yeah, exactly. Too, can, can, do I, so, can I put salt know. on my spicy tuna rolls? Is that is that how it works? Is that is that a possibility? <laughs> a little bit salt. Well, James Work put nigiri on it, like, but that was when we had the five. Gotcha. So, you know. Gotcha. <laughs> So, wow, we had such an amazing discussion with you, CJ, and thank you so much for being on with us. Um, it was such a pleasure to have you on. And before we let you go, we do want to share with our audience where we can learn more about you and what you do. Um, so, CJ, where can we learn more about your content and what you do over at IGN? So for the most part, relatively private guy. Funny, I, I post mostly Destiny-related things and the odd time when I have uh, like cool work functions going on. But uh, at Gibson Films on Twitter is the, uh, is the main platform to find me on. But again, uh, if you subscribe uh, to youtube.com uh, slash IGN and or check us out, youtube.com slash fireteamchat, and watch our podcast. It airs every Friday at 5 p.m. And we talk uh, a lot about Destiny, just like you guys. So that's where we do our show. It's not, it's not as long. I, more often than not, I actually kind of feel like I would love the show to go an hour. But we do get feedback from people that it's kind of a nice bite-sized chunk of just the quick little details and uh, you know a little less personal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's fun. It, it never feels quite long enough, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a format that I think has worked for us. Yeah. And we've enjoyed IGN's fire team chat for the longest time. You guys, along with DCP are our go-to source for destiny info. And it was yourself and IGN's fire team chat and DCP that inspired us to started podcast of our own so thank you so much for the inspiration to get things going and to do something like this of our own so we appreciate you guys and everything that you do for our community and uh it was such an honor to have a chance to hang out with you and talk destiny and learn more about everything that you do well that's awesome man i appreciate that yeah it's one of those things where again you guys are already at um you know what is this episode 23 the michael jordan episode uh, that's cool. Glad yep. I could be involved in that. And yeah, man, all much continued success and definitely give me a call anytime. And if there's a special celebratory episode at a hundred, which uh, it seems like a long ways away, but you guys are almost a quarter of the way there. So uh, yeah, uh, I will definitely love to come back anytime in the future. Absolutely. We can't wait to have you back on and uh, shadow price. Where can we learn more about you? You can follow me on the Twitter at ShadowPrice79. And also, when I'm streaming, when I stream, you could uh, follow me at twitch.tv slash IamShadowPrice. Very cool. And you can find the Destiny Show podcast on all of your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Podbean, Anchor, and all of the platforms where you listen to podcasts 
We also have a website at www.destinyshow.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at The Destiny Show. And you can also follow me personally on Twitter at OMG Cornholio for all of my latest gaming rants that I do and all of the things that I share. And uh, yeah, so next week on the show, we have Fuzzle, who is a moderator slash a community leader at Bungie. So we're really excited to have him on the show next week. And we thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Destiny Show podcast. And we will see you out there, Guardians. Guardians out. Six years since the bombs fell. And since I've left the vault, I've been trying to rebuild. But this isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. There's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.